Today on the topic show, Vivek tweet on firing 1 million federal employees in 2025 goes viral. Vivek thanked by World War II veteran gets positive feedback. Oliver Anthony critiqued for canceling a show, claiming that tickets were just too expensive. The UAW live stream with my charming commentary. House representatives pass a bill to try to save gas cars. Vivek video on ESG scores gains traction. Ford announces layoffs due to the UAW strikes. Ford CEO on historic proposal to the UAW. General Motors CEO on the UAW situation. Retail theft to cost businesses about $100 billion this year. Disney Plus cancels more content than anyone else. Starbucks is re-engineering their cups to be more green. McDonald's bringing back the 50-cent hamburger just for one day. Barbie sales are up 25%. Salesforce is ramping up their hiring. And TikTok is slammed with a 345 million euro fine. All that and much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder released twice today. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner, you reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, we're giving away a free flamethrower. Yes, you can mount it on an AR-15 with every September purchase. Go to a website for additional details. Lastly, for the intro, trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of September. So if you click that button, I would greatly appreciate it. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast, you have Starbucks re-engineering their cups for climate change. Now, one of the most iconic things about Starbucks, in addition to the logo, is the white cup. It actually was so famous, it actually was cast as a character, I believe, in the show called Game of Thrones. And... I can only assume it was the main character of the show by how much feedback I heard about the cup in the film, or rather, in the TV series. It probably had as much personality as many of the people working on the show, presumably. But, nevertheless, it shot to stardom. Not only can a cup start off as something that you drink up, but if that cup works really hard, it could become just as competent as a Hollywood actor and be in one of the premiere films. But, enough on the success of that particular cup. It looks like Starbucks wants their cups by 2030 to move completely away from disposable cups. They also appear to be moving away from convenience. Now, this is actually coming specifically from the Seattle Times. They say, quote, Today's drive to overhaul the cup comes from an obvious business imperative. Producing disposable products like cups creates greenhouse gas emissions, which warm the planet and lead to extreme weather events and other manifestations of climate change. That goes against the customer's increasingly expectations for companies to be a part of the solution of climate change." Unquote. Now, I'm not saying things are not real in terms of the human impact on the environment. I do question how much an individual cup, well, collectively, Starbucks makes a lot of cups, but it is interesting how everyone ignores the 500-pound elephant, or perhaps more appropriate, the of a metaphor the 500 pound panda in the room since that's where most of the world's emissions come from you see that, that's a joke because pandas are from china i know u.s public school test scores are all-time low for you know math history science so today we learned a little bit of geography as well as what would animals be a part of man that, that'd be science so a little bit of entertainment and education some might say now it looks like at a store they actually have some programs where they don't serve any disposable Starbucks cups. So, and they, the, not even the plasticky ones, the little, you know, the cheap little plastic where, you know, it's a single use. Now, 
it looks like they have a program similar to when you go to a store and you see there's like a little barrel of umbrellas and the courtesy is if you take an umbrella next time you bring back you bring it with you and it looks like one a couple of these starbucks stores have a similar program where they have this it's just a little bit better than the disposable plastic ones and you know you take it home with you and in theory you bring it back now it'll be interesting to see the only way i could see this being successful and again it's one of those things where thomas sewell a brilliant man he is famous for saying there's no solution it's only trade-offs which i tend to find truer and truer the older i get in this situation it takes more energy to make more durable products like the plastic cups in terms of the heavy duty reusable plastic cups so it'd be fascinating to see a breakdown of the carbon emissions through all the variables in terms of that and compare the two. And again, Starbucks is ever exponentially increasing the amount of recyclable paper rather that they put into and utilize to make the disposable cup. But it's also one of those things where I don't think it'll be very profitable for the company. I think I'll lose money partially because I've been so, perhaps this belongs to the culture part of the podcast, but I was so disappointed by humanity in terms of how many people are so lazy they simply acquiesce from returning their god dang cart when they go grocery shopping? I can't help but notice there's so many people that are so lazy they can't push the cart back 10 feet after they remove the groceries from their grocery apparatus. They're so lazy they can't take the cart and return it to the cart return as a decent human being should do. Now, I can't help but see a parallel with a Starbucks if they have these more expensive cups Unless they charge a preposterous amount of money, like 5 to $10 for the heavy-duty plastic cup, even then, I can't help but think people are going to buy it and they'll throw it out when they get home. Or It's one of those things where, let me know in the comments, do you think this will be successful long-term? Because you're taking away from the convenience of a customer. Now a customer has to bring their own coffee beverage device to the Starbucks, which in terms of business practice, I do believe it is clever for them. They do give a discount right now if you do that act. So if you bring your own coffee apparatus, usually some Yeti is a popular brand, of course. Well, I was gonna say, case in point. But if you bring it to Starbucks, I think they give you like a dollar off. Now that's good because it provides an actual incentive that the customer benefits from, in addition to being better for the climate. In terms of the climate initiatives, the best results I believe in terms of like a business initiative going after that topic, you have to make it a win-win for the customer. And having that discount where you, know, you get a dollar off, you bring your own coffee apparatus, that's a great example of a win-win. It's better for the environment because obviously you you can wash that and if you take care of it, it'll last literally a lifetime or more. And Starbucks, they can cut down on the cost, not just the cost of you know the landfills, but logistics. A little ADHD story, a little fun fact about me. I used to work at a very popular movie chain and I was a concessions cashier. And one of the big expenses as well as inventory things that we took track of were the cups because that's where movie theaters make a majority of their profit is the popcorn and the beverages. The reason they're so expensive is because they don't make a, a lot of money, relatively speaking, on the ticket sale of the actual film. So in terms of Starbucks, very similarly, they're keeping track of the inventory, they're buying the cups, and then they have to have to pay an employee to stock them appropriately. So there are a lot of benefits to it, but it'll be interesting to see what's the customer pushback. Do a majority of people in the United States, are they willing to trade convenience for the environment and inherently it's going to cost them more because they're paying for that expensive whatever you want to call it, their pseudo non-disposable cup so it'll be interesting to see let me know in the comments would you, would you be willing to pay what was it add five ten dollars more to your coffee tab if you got a nicer and then would you want to reuse a, dis, a non-disposable coffee mug 
Granted, of course, they're going to wash it properly, yada, yada. But just the stigma, a premium brand, you're using someone else's coffee apparatus? That, that doesn't feel premium to me. And Starbucks, they charge the most for coffee. Don't get me wrong, it's, well, it's usually just candy in a cup, depending if you read the damn nutrition facts. But nevertheless, it's a premium brand. Would that decrease your perception of the brand if you go there and you get someone else's used cup? Of course, it's, san it's sanitary, but just mentally speaking, will that be a detractor for customers? That's perhaps something I'll be most fascinating to see as this whole situation progresses, and we'll see if anyone pushes back. But as I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting businesses, you have McDonald's. They're going to sell their hamburgers for 50 cents to celebrate another holiday in the U.S. Because, of course, we have holidays for everything in the United States. It is the National Cheeseburger Day. Because, again, we have holidays for every stupid thing on the planet. Now, this is going to be taking place September 18th. So mark your calendars if you're so woefully addicted to McDonald's that you need to be reminded. Now, it looks like this will be the same price for their classic double cheeseburger. Man, you could thank your government for this, at least the United States, for ridiculous inflation. Right now we have 40-year hyperinflation thanks to the government's ineptitudes on the left and the right. Now, this is how much the hamburger cost in 1982. That, that's insane. Now, it is brilliant marketing because everyone, I mean, that's a phenomenal value. They're losing money on this prospect. Now, long-term, it's gonna net them more sales partially because they're harvesting the data. Now, specifically, in order to claim this offer, customers need to go to the Golden Arches mobile app and order it as they would any other item for pickup and delivery. And the price of the Change Classic 2 patties and a cheese sandwich, what the, that sounds ridiculous. Thanks, CNS, MSNBC. A cheese, it's not a sandwich. A topic for another time, I know, but ridiculous. And they said, you know, just put in your, Basket, although if they're smart, they call their app instead of a basket, you have a tray. They should do that. I wouldn't know because I don't eat that. But nevertheless, if you put it in your basket or if you're cool, call it your tray and it'll just show up as 50 cents. You'll need to apply a coupon or anything. Now, it looks like, of course, there's disclaimers saying you'll be at participating locations nationwide and they need to, of course, order it through that app. Now, this is brilliant because every company on the planet is a tech company they just don't know it yet or they won't admit it yet because as i've said a couple episodes previously one of those valuable assets on the planet is data it was more valuable than oil and apple which is saying something because apple is the most profitable company on the planet or at least they were in 2019 or 20. they're doing some fantastic things at apple needless to say but mcdonald's they get to harvest that data if you're a first time mcdonald's user or you're just downloading the app now now they have an extra customer in their system and with all the app permissions these days, they probably know more about you than your family. Everything from geolocation, credit history. It's ridiculous how much permissions ask for these days. And of course, people acquiesce because convenience and some people just think they have no choice. Well, some would say you always do. But I think this will gain them a lot of data. So you're going to get a lot of new customers. And of course, nostalgia sells. For a myriad of reasons, it's one of the reasons that you see so many businesses leaning into it especially fast food, many of them have changed their logos back to previous logo designs. You see this in multiple fast food industries from the pizzas to the hamburgers, partially because I suspect two things. One, their food probably tastes better back then and you associate it with a good memory, partially because things cost less back then due to a myriad of reasons, but also 
just nostalgia. People remember things were life was easier back then when taxes were low. Gas was a dollar twenty-five a gallon. Well, actually, no, gas was only a dollar ninety-nine gallon back in two thousand nineteen. But I partially digress. I think this will be a brilliant business idea, and of course, it'll help McDonald's gain more traction with net new customers as well as increase the loyalty of the current customers they have. So I think that's going to be a pretty good business idea. And if they're and they are publicly traded, so perhaps we'll be able to see some of that interesting data once it's gathered. Other interesting business news, you have Barbie sales up 25%. Ridiculous. Now, this is specifically for sales in the United States. Barbie sales dolls have increased by 25% in July and August compared to the same month's last fiscal year. This is according to a study by Serenka, and it looks like Barbie, quote, Barbie was the most in-demand doll during the period, and the brand had six of the top 10 best sellers. Now, Mattel went on to say, quote, as a list of first wave of movie-related toys are sold out, but it plans to capitalize further on the brand beyond the movie, including more products in time for the holidays. And I want to say this. I, I was dialed inside reporting this. Barbie was the highest grossing movie in 2023 thus far, raking in $620.7 million domestically and $1.38 billion worldwide. Which, ridiculous. Now, it's even more ridiculous when you think the only reason they're buying these Barbies, well, I guess you have, you know, adults actually, ridiculously enough, adults account for a not negligible percentage of new toy sales. They're partially fueling the toy industry. It's in the double digits percentage. But they're buying all these dollars, presumably for the children, so that means the moms were so mentally or morally vacuous that they actually took children to see that film. And remember, that film was very PG-13 had multiple sex-related jokes, and literally has, there's no happy, there's no morals or values, there's no lessons to be taught. The lesson that you learn is men and women are, in, according to the movie, incompatible, and they can't coincide or coexist. And then the film, of course, makes men look in the worst possible lights. Mattel, the morons who greenlit this movie, I say morons because in the movie, Mattel looks bad. In the film, they have the executives at Mattel all cliche pejorative men. In real life, half of the board of directors at Mattel are women. A unusually high percentage compared to other industries in the United States when it comes to the board directors. So Mattel made themselves look bad in the movie too. So, and of course it was just, you know, there's a lot of controversy in terms of you had, also had a trans individual in the film, you had other sexual themes. There are many things that make this movie not child appropriate. But because the marketing was great, uh, don't get me wrong, in terms of admiration from a marketing perspective and from a business perspective, they were incredibly successful. Partially because they didn't show any of the controversy in the marketing. They showed the fluff. And unfortunately, parents are not very intelligent in terms of they're not screening these movies enough before they send their kids to see them. The parents just see, oh yeah, I know Barbie. I've heard of Barbie. Now let's go see a movie. The, 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 I mean, the advertising looks pretty plain, pretty uncontroversial. And the parents took their kids there, and of course, a lot of them were under 13 years old. Ridiculous, beyond all belief. But unfortunately, not all too common with today's culture. So it'll be interesting to see, do the sales just keep going up for the rest of the year? And what other plans do they have? And then we'll be seeing, it sounds like we're gonna see more films from Mattel, and perhaps they'll increase their sales. I'm, I'm pretty confident it will, the question is, how morally or mentally vacuous will those new films be? Only time 
shall tell. Other interesting business news, you have Salesforce wanting to expand their company and hire 3,000 sales representatives. Well, mostly sales, a little bit of engineering. Although it's also, this is also the, after they laid off about 10% of their workforce. So not the best looks or optics, a lot of pushback, a lot of, little bit of negativity on the social media, so to say. And they specifically said that the roles will be in sales, engineering, and that the team will, the workers, well, they're going to focus on the company's cloud data product per Bloomberg. And in terms of laying off their employees, they don't, they get off about 10% of their workforce. And right now on LinkedIn, they have 70,600 employees who current, or people on LinkedIn who currently link them as a current employer. So in terms of net employees, they're still down compared to the beginning of the year. So it's interesting to see they're starting to grow again. Perhaps that's hopefully signs the economy might be picking up. Because in terms of Salesforce, they only, I can't conceivably think of why an individual need it. They sell business software in which it's a customer relationship management or a CRM software. I know there's some sales, there might be some Salesforce engineers watching. I know you can do seemingly endless, limitless things with the software from sending emails. So there's a lot of capabilities, but their core competency that people know them for is a CRM tool, very well known into the business to business operations and business to consumer operations. So maybe they think there's more businesses that have more demand for it. So they're gonna go hire some more sales reps. So perhaps this is a sign that the economy's turning around. I, I can't help but think this is very small evidence. Most all the other companies are laying people off. I am, I'm glad to see some job expansion and hopefully they're able to get some good sales reps. Lord knows they need the money. That's perhaps a single, single employer keeping San Francisco from just plunging into the further depths of crime. Well, I was gonna say there's a myriad of things wrong with San Francisco, but they're one of the only employers still headquartered there. Many have left, not just retailers, but businesses headquartered in the city have left as well for a myriad of reasons, taxes, crime, drugs, etc. So it'll be interesting to see, but as I always say, time shall tell. Now going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have Oliver Anthony critiqued for canceling the show. Even Tim Poole chimes in. Now Oliver Anthony rose to fame seemingly overnight with his iconic song, Rich Men North of Richmond, which actually perhaps did some Americans good in terms of, I know public schools, test scores are all time low, even though we pay unions more and more and more money every year. They have lower test scores every year, and specifically it looks like, you know, math, science, history. And in this case, geography, I don't know where that would fall into. Perhaps it'd be social studies when I was a kid. Now, in this case, the song perhaps provided more education in the public school system. I know, low bar, granted. But people quickly Googled, what is north of Richmond, Virginia, Washington, D.C., a place equally morally vacuous as perhaps San Francisco? And the song resonated with a lot of people and he just exponentially increased in popularity. It was a very, all, many people politically left, right, middle, a lot of people really felt that they, that song resonated with them. And he became one of the most famous musicians seemingly overnight. Granted, he's been a musician for quite some time, but fascinating how Freakonomics works when it comes to economics and certain things just jumping off. Now, it looks like he actually canceled a show at the Cotton Eye Joe which I'm pretty sure that's a song I learned when I was a child. I didn't even know it was an actual place, but interesting. Perhaps correlation? Probably not. Now, it looks like he actually has some tweet videos and he was complaining that 
the tickets were too expensive. Now, interestingly enough, this show was also going to be taking place apparently in a city called Austin, which is debatably part of Texas. We won't go there yet, or not today perhaps, but it is a bit, basically the San Francisco of Texas. Extremely expensive, very population dense. And there are allegedly some upsides. Pretty good food last time I went. So I'll go ahead and we'll... He, got, he brought out a couple videos, so straight from the horse's mouth, so to say. I had to pull off on the side of the road and make this video. I'm, uh... My adrenaline's pumping, man. I'm pissed off right now. And don't buy Cotton Eye Joe tickets for $99 a piece. And sure as hell don't buy VIP passes for whatever bullshit price they're on. Um, I have a buddy of mine who's not a booking agent. He's a friend of mine. He's a full-time plumber. And I'm trying to hire him full-time as my booking agent. And uh, he agreed to the show, I guess, without asking for the, what the ticket prices are. Um, don't pay $100 for a ticket. That's horseshit. Uh, if we've got to cancel the venue and play somewhere else, we will. Uh, I didn't agree to it, and I don't want you to pay it. So please don't. Just I'm just trying to get the word out now. It's, I, I don't know when the event got posted, but just... I had to... And it's really... Come on, Elon. Why does the video automatically reset and play itself twice? I heard it once. I probably don't need to hear it again. Unless it's a video about myself talking, in which case, if I have not been listening to the comments and not enunciating properly, I'd probably have to listen to it two or three, th or three times to get a sense of it. Pun on myself, perhaps. And then he also has a second rebuttal video. And these are both posted on the Twitter, or I guess now x.x, called by the name of Chris Burtum. I'll go ahead and play this, the part two. All right. So uh, I was a little pissed off and I made that. Yeah, I was a little pissed off. I was more than a little pissed off. I about ran us off the road when uh, when I saw that Facebook post. And so I pulled over. Um, Joey and I were driving back from Maryland today. And um, so anyway, we've had an opportunity to sit in the car together for a couple hours after that and have a good long talk about where this needs to go moving forward. Um, you know, Joey and I met at an open mic in uh, Prince George, Virginia, about three weeks before I blew up. Our first time on stage together was at Currituck, the show that Jamie Johnson showed up at. And so, like, this is all very new for both of us. I mean, he's been gigging for years. I had never gigged. I was always just playing open mics. Um, so now that we're here, it's like everybody's been telling us that we need to book these big shows and we've got to get all this stuff and we've got to hire staff to do all this crap and it's going to cost X amount of money. And it's like we end up just kind of getting stuck. Um, it's just like I'm, I feel like I'm getting cornered doing stuff that I don't want to do in the first place. And I'm very adamant about $25 to $40 ticket prices. I think even $40 is a little bit high. So Joey and I have had some time in the car to talk. And um, basically what we've decided to do is we're going to keep ticket prices moving forward. Now, we do have a few more shows booked now, like Poppy um, Mountain Festival, Louder Than Life, all that crap. Once we get through those, everything else moves. So the video just ends there awkwardly enough. I think he's about to learn a lesson about something in business called overhead, which is pretty much all the costs that you have, the indirect costs associated with an event like this. Now, it is nice that he wants to have the idea of having a low cost per ticket of, you know, $25. You know, he says ideally no more than $25. Now, how could you make that price work? Well, you'd have to go with McDonald's option. McDonald's option being... The only way you make money is a very little, little bit per unit, but in the aggregate, you go volume. So 
that price point that price point could very well work if it's at a massive stadium. Because again, all these venues have huge amounts of overhead. I can't imagine the cost to lease land in Austin. One of my friends in the tech community, his wife is a real estate agent. I'll see on Facebook, some of these houses in Austin is basically the same price as San Francisco. You're talking a million dollars for a house the size of, what is it, 2,000 square feet? Sometimes even less square footage because it is very high demand, very small amount of, you know, good old business 101. A lot of demand, very little supply means high prices. I, uh, there, right there, we just did another big cheap, we did another nice example of providing more value to public schools or at least a little education. I'd also argue most people in DC don't know that basic economic lesson, but I moderately digress. The only way you could hit that price point is if you had a massive volume of ticket sales. Because again, not only do you have to pay for the rent, let's say you do own the establishment over in Austin, you have the rent, you have the Texas franchise tax, you have all your employees, you have their benefits, you have extra security, you have you have electricity, you have internet, you have sewage, water. There's a lot of costs that go into running a physical retail store, or in this case, a large public venue or LPV, such as a concert hall. And he was saying that $90 for ticket really isn't that bad. And I know his sample size or where he's coming from or his experiences, maybe he just had sticker shock, but you also have to remember it's, I mean, it's in a very expensive place. And it looks like his original fee was $120,000 for a 60 minute set, or, oh, you know, 60 minute production. So the only way they can make, and the revenue, or the, rather the venue only holds 1,500 people. So the venue can't get that volume needed for the lower price point. And I do agree, I like his idea of getting the price point where every fan can afford it, but he has to think about the circumstances that will allow that. And again, it can in certain situations. And another issue is, in terms of advocating from responsibility, he had a friend, perhaps, and again, I find in most things in life, a lack of communication usually, whether it be relationships or business, that's when bad things happen. And in many ways, I would say there's no such thing as too much communication. And in this case, his friend on his behalf accepted this and they agreed to this venue. They agreed to this. It looks like his friend may have signed a contract for him. They had an agreement in place. And it's not very responsible or loyal to the fans who did pay for that to cancel it. Now, in this case, it looks like the venue took responsibility and they did choose to voluntarily cancel it because of the uneconomic circumstances. And it looks like the venue did while it bad. They had that issue with the talent and it's a very squirrely situation. And I believe they did perform refunds, which is very fortunate. Sometimes that doesn't happen. And it looks like even Tim Poole chimed in on this and he's the most popular person in the world with a beanie. I can't think of, can't think of anyone more popular than him. He is the brand, how, how he doesn't sell beanies is beyond me. I mean, that is a lost business opportunity. He sells coffee like every podcaster, of course, and I'm sure his tastes a little bit better. But how does he not have a lineup of beanies? Maybe he does. I, I, maybe I'll just need to look into it for the latest update of products that he sells. But nevertheless, this is from Tim Pool's Twitter, or I guess now called X. And it says, this is Tim Pool saying, quote, 
I don't fault Oliver Anthony for being inexperienced, but this whole fiasco seems to be based off his and his team's lack of understanding how shows like this work. We charged $125 per ticket at our event in Austin, and we lost money doing the event. People don't understand how expensive it is to run a venue with 1,500 people is going to be nuts. I don't know gonna is G-U-N-N-A. Can't help but wonder if that's a typo. Nevertheless, this is one of the, and of course, you know, it's from Tim Pools. It got 1.9 million views and about 2,973 likes. Pretty darn impressive. And Tim Pool, in terms of noise, he is much more, of course, he owns a business, he owns a small business. So it makes sense for him to notice on these additional details. And one of the other, his other comments said, quote, for Cotton Eye Joe, the venue, they're expecting to likely break even off the ticket sales and make some money off the booze sales. Homie doesn't seem to get it, unquote. Which is true. That's how they could actually perhaps make a profit on it if they're breaking even with the tickets. But then again, as I mentioned earlier, there's other, even if you're keeping your variable costs just for the specific event, such as the labor costs just for that event, the garbage pickup for that event, there are other business overhead costs that you need to factor in as well. And of course, yes, booze is usually highly profitable. I mean, I can't help but imagine going to a concert. It's always, what is it, 6 to 12? What, what, do, what do public events charge these days? Like 6 to 12, 20 bucks for a little cheap, you know, 5 cent plastic cup with some mediocre light beer thrown in there? Personally, I wouldn't, I'm too cheap for that. If anything, I'd probably get something, more, probably, I would enjoy a good spirits at some type of event, but I partially digress. It looks like more and more people were upset with the situation it looks at like when you go to the comments and the comments are from the original tweet from gris bertum again that tweet in two days got 4.5 million views and 6166 likes so not the best ratio coming in at 0.14 percent but going to the feedback and rather going to the responses to that you see someone by the name of liberal but not left she says quote oliver's fee was literally hundred and twenty thousand dollars for a 60 minute set at a 1500 person venue now he's blaming the venue for having to price tickets accordingly so they don't go in the red to pay his astronomic fee. I love this guy, but this is an absolute BS misrepresentation of what happened, unquote. Now, she got 47.1 thousand views, but only 362 likes. So not a lot of people chiming in to give her the love. It looks like ratio comes at 0.77%, so not the best. But then you do have Chris Burton responding to her saying, quote, if you listen to the video, he explains it was an agreement made by a boomer, not him, unquote. Boomer being a pejorative term for people who are older. And his response got 42.4 thousand views, but only 306 likes, giving him a ratio of 0.72%. Which again, even if his, his friend did agree to it, but whether he likes it or not, his friend was negotiating on his behalf and agreeing on his behalf. So again, it doesn't make Oliver Anthony look good because even indirectly, he's breaking his word to his fans. In this case, it looks like the fans got lucky, but still, as a wise man once said, a man is only as good as his word. Now, you also have someone by the name of Joey Marino saying, quote, no one will make any profit. Uh, again, I love it when some people do a tweet and the grammar isn't proper, but I will nevertheless read it as they wrote. Say, quote, no one will make any profit if in his tickets are that low and venues won't be able to open to hold him. I admire what he's doing though. It's just where can he play that can accommodate 
his crowd size. Unquote. Got 19,000 views and 90 likes. Coming in at 0.47%. One of the last popular replies is Wilma saying, quote, I don't care. I don't like him. He's pro-Biden and a Marxist. He was laughing at conservatives, Republicans for using his music, unquote. She got 6,675 views and 50 likes. So a little bit higher ratio, 0.74%. And it's interesting to see, he did laugh at a lot of politicians. I believe Republicans were the ones using the music because a lot of the views that he's espousing are traditionally more conservative. Granted, most Republicans these days are Republican in name, in name only, pejoratively known as rhinos. And some of them are perhaps as, in, in, as an intelligent as a rhino and as appealing as well visually. Moderate burn. Now, it'll be interesting to see, does this slow down his growth rate? He's growing exponentially. People are buying his music more and more. But I think most people will see his good intentions. And even though he is abdicating from responsibility and it's not a good relationship with the venues, I, I suspect it won't hurt his growth rate too much. Let me know in the comments if you disagree, though. Be interesting to see what you have to say. Other interesting cultural news, you have retail theft to hit $100 billion this year in the United States, which is ridiculous beyond all belief. Now, this number is according to the National Retail Federation. And in terms of anecdotal evidence, specifically, we talked about this a little bit earlier, or a couple episodes ago, the CEO of Nordstrom, which in August lost $300,000 in merchandise during a quote-unquote flash mob in, of course, Los Angeles. They said that it, quote, Historical highs that Flash Mob had 20 thieves in hoodies and masks. Unquote. Now, of course, like, you just know they have no self-respect because they're wearing hoodies and they don't suit up, as all men should. Now, it looks like this also comes after the news earlier, or last week, where Nike actually closed their popular flagship stores in Portland, Oregon. So, can't help but see a correlation where the cities that allow theft and encourage theft with the policies they choose and vote for, those are the cities having the worst theft imaginable. Coincidence? No, absolutely not. Of course not. But this goes to the culture of the United States, which, again, it's not good news. It just appears to be the culture decaying more and more as more and more people not only advocate for responsibility, but become useless thieves. Literally, what's the next way? The tumors of society, the blood suckers of society. I can't think of a pejorative metaphor apt enough for the people who would rather steal than make an honest living. And it's hilarious when people say, oh, they're just hungry. They're stealing clothing from Nordstrom. And when they had the, all, the, all these thefts at CVS, they're stealing alcohol. They're stealing premium coffee. They're stealing a mere makeup. Those are the, some of the top categories of products being stolen. I have yet to see someone steal a book, work boots, or a loaf of bread. Or a suit, now that I think about it. Coincidence? No, I, I don't think so. Because I just words are hard to describe how far the United States has once fallen. Retail used to be a thing. And you look at old pictures from the golden era of the United States, Men would suit up to go shopping at the grocery store. Their family would be dressed up as if they were going to church. Another rare thing in United States society, I can't help but think 
there's probably a correlation where there's less and less and less people going to church and believing in religion, and there's an exponential increase in moral depravity, societal breakdown, cultural demise, theft increasing exponentially. Now, will the, will the stores do anything about it? That's what I want to know. When will they reach a breaking point when they wake the hell up? When will people vote differently? Look at El Salvador. They saw their crime like that. They built jails. They arrested gang members. And crazy enough, there are people who moved from El Salvador to the United States. They look around here. Then they see how their country got fixed back home. They're moving back. Which goes to show you how far the United States has fallen. And again, I can't help but think there are a few ways to fix this situation. And there are a few people to blame. Partially, you have to blame the insurance companies. Now, the insurance companies, they increase the rates of these stores if they intervene with theft because there's inherently more risk. The employee might fall, get hurt. They may fall when they're tackling them, get hurt. The perpetrator might actually attack them using lethal force. Those are all more risk than just letting them go. But just letting them go, I would argue, is not just morally vacuous and disgusting, but is causing more of the same problem. So one, talk to the insurance companies, tell them, here's the long-term cost of what you're doing to us. Here's what you're doing to our country from a societal and a cultural perspective. So that's one thing you have to fix. Two, the stores, well, actually no, two, you need to have a cultural awakening. People need to vote for district attorneys to actually do their damn job, which is a rare thing in and of itself these days where they usually let people off the hook, partially because the people are voting for it. Look at California, they took the crime. If you stole something that was $950 in California, they used to be a felony and you would be prosecuted appropriately. Well, actually I would say not harsh enough, so in my opinion, not appropriately enough, or not harsh enough, they actually changed it from a felony to a misdemeanor. They voted for it, they're getting what they want. Now, since it's a misdemeanor, it's already lowered down the totem pole in terms of crimes, district attorneys will kick it down because they're always negotiating. And you also have the district attorneys who, they just don't prosecute. They just let them go. Which again, from a cultural perspective and a societal perspective, that's made the problem exponentially worse. So you need to vote them out and find people who actually do their job. Third, you need the stores to not just have theft prevention, but they need to prosecute them. The stores should have a big sign saying, if you steal, we'll sue you for every penny you have. If you're caught and they're proven in court, we're taking you to the bank. Now, a final thing that I think would fix two problems at once. One, there are always veterans who could use some jobs in the United States. So there's a little bit of an unemployment issue right there. I know a great way to solve it. There are a few things more effective than a Marine with a rifle. Put that in front of the store. Let them know if you, not only if you're gonna steal from us, if you are a morally vacuous evil person, we will stop you without hesitation. Those four things I think will not just turn around fiscally for the United States in terms of the bleeding of this $100 billion loss, but I think it will improve the culture because something has to change. This problem is getting worse and worse and worse. Let me know in the comments if you have other ideals or ideas that are more effective that we might be able to propose to some of our friends and family, that we might be able to advocate for to get this message across that this problem is getting worse and there needs to be some type of change. Because all I know is that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing again and again and again and expecting a different result. And right now, that's what we're doing. And it's getting worse and worse and worse and is just continuing to the demise and the cultural decay of the United States. But 
that's just my three cents. Used to be two cents, but 40 year hyperinflation, gotta be three cents. Should be four, but I'm a generous man, should be four cents. Though, it's still free to click that subscribe button. Other interesting cultural news, you have Disney Plus slashing content by 40%, or just about. Now, specifically between Disney Plus and Hulu, which they own a majority share in Hulu stock, and they're going to buy subsequently buy out the remaining from, I believe, Comcast, they've canceled 36.3% of their shows, more than any other streaming platform. That's astronomical. Now, why would Disney have to do this? Well, quite simple. No one likes, no one's tuning in. Because culturally speaking, I think they are perhaps one of the most disconnected companies on the planet. When it comes to, in business, the most important thing is to know the customer. What is your customer looking for? What are their values? What do they need from a product or your service? How can you increase the relationship? How can you give them more of what they want? Some things might tank the company, depending on what demographic, geographically. There are many things that go into the makeup of what your customer base is. And in some cases, you want everyone to be your customer. You're not going for a niche market, you're going for a mass market. Think of a company that sells perhaps water. Although, given the politics of the United States, even that would somehow become a political issue. But Disney used to be a thing everyone loved. No controversy. They actually had these rare, unusual things in the United States. Nowadays, it's unusual to hear these words. They're called Morals, Values, and Lessons. One of the most famous ones, perhaps, being the Bare Necessities song from the Jungle Book, where they talk about the bare necessities, which most Americans nowadays have no idea what they are. Another lesson for another time, but shortly said, there are things you don't need. There are bare necessities, although if they were to remake that film now, the bear in the film would not be a bear that comes from a zoo. I shall not elaborate more since I know perhaps there are some youngins listening. But it's one of those instances where nowadays Disney has become so political, they are pushing so much, maybe we call it propaganda, that's dividing their audience completely. They're inserting overt sexual themes into children's materials. Things that are not acceptable for I would say any age below 18, depending on your philosophy on when you introduce topics to kids. And some topics I don't think you should ever introduce, depending on what they are. Another topic for another time, perhaps. But they're so disconnected, they're losing money on these programs. That's why they're canceling them. If you're making money on a program, you very rarely ever cancel it. Maybe once in a blue moon, if there's a controversy with the main actor or actress in the film or the series or the movie, you might cancel it. Or if there's a big controversy around the topic of the film, and something happens unrelated, or rather a third party does something and you might not think it's tasteful. May you might reminisce about George Carlin and people dying in planes. He was about to release a special, he's a comedian, around 9-11. And because of how it would not be tasteful, even though he wasn't talking about that specific event, they were somewhat quoted, so he chose not to release it. Very, I was gonna say apples to orange perhaps, but conceptually, there's these things where they're releasing these out and just more and more and more, they're inserting political, maybe would say morally vacuous things. And the audience is aware of that. That's why they've lost about $2 billion on movies this year. A company that used to print money, basically, when it came to film and TV, now they're bleeding. Not just, you know, not just their stock, but fiscally speaking as well, they're losing money. Disney Plus still hasn't shown a profit, which again, over time, things do become profitable if you're doing the right things. Tesla perhaps being the most famous examples, and Disney Plus still isn't there yet. And the streaming wars are in full throttle. Every business, every media company has a streaming service, 
And Disney might actually have to sell some assets if they want to see this come to fruition. But culturally speaking, the disconnect is getting worse, not better. I don't, there are people who are proud to work as Disney at, as activists. And they haven't fired those people. Quite the opposite, they're empowering them. So from a culture perspective, they're becoming more and more disconnected with what the mass audience wants. And their sales are just going to keep going down lower and lower. And given who's working there and their belief systems, I don't think it's going to stop. They're shooting themselves in the foot but not learning a lesson. It's like the kid who puts the hand down on the stove. Usually, the kid will learn the lesson after one burn. You put the hand on the you know, parents say, the stove is hot, don't touch it. Of course, they're curious. They touch it, it burns their hand. Most of them would understand from that lesson, okay, now I know for sure that, will, that bad thing will happen. Disney, it's like Mickey Mouse took off the glove and just stuck it on the stove and is leaving it there and it's just frying more and more and more, which would smell pretty bad because, of course, Mickey Mouse is a rat or a mouse. So I, could only, I dare not fathom that smell. But that smell perhaps could be a good metaphor of what Disney has now become. And let me know in the comments, do you think long-term, will this current administration with Bob Iger leading the company again, with the current people working there, Will they keep going down this path? If they do, will that ever become profitable? How many decades of change would it take in terms of, in terms of United States demographic changes will it take? A lot of people argue the pendulum swings back and forth between different political issues and demographics. Well, if it doesn't ever swing back and the United States keeps going down the track now, it might become profitable. But again, you're talking about a multi-decade initiative. So let me know in the comments, will they keep down this path or will they finally change and get rid of the politics from their content? It's one of those things where I'm glad I'm not buying their stock. And again, I'm not giving any financial advice. Their stock is, I think, near 52-week low. It's, or no, actually, it's close to a 10-year low a couple weeks ago. Needless to say, I'm not giving any financial advice about Disney. I'm just glad I did not personally invest. Now, going over to the political part of the podcast, you have Vivek getting thanked by a World War II veteran and goes viral, getting 1 million views in a mere 12 hours. And whilst many people will call him Vivek, I can't help but think... I kind of like his rap, his rap name back when he was in college. And it's easier to pronounce for folks that are not great at pronouncing things, which is just Dubek. Which, again, he sh I think he got in trouble with Eminem because Eminem is a... I mean, he used to be a bad guy, saw, you know, saw things on the streets, as they would pejoratively say. But Eminem now just cried and said, I'm going to sue you if you don't stop using my music. Really, Eminem? Everyone knows this should have ended with a rap battle. Eminem versus Devec. That's how it should have ended. But Eminem is pathetic and he won't do that. So going to the clip, actually, that went viral. This is posted by, appropriately named, Kate the Great. Go ahead and I'll play that really quick here. And again, I appreciate the feedback. If you know of a good software where I could play this in real time, or an easy software I could post it. Right now I'm using Blackmagic DaVinci um, Resolve, or a, yeah, it's a Black, the DaVinci is a software that I'm currently using for editing. If you know something that I could use in production, I've tried a couple, but the camera keeps crashing, so I appreciate feedback if you know of any good softwares, and, I, and then we'll be able to incorporate it and make the show better and better. But with the current technology I have today, I'll go ahead and I'll play this really quick. I like to say, in the, I'm a veteran of World War II. 
and what, and what, what you're saying, the words you're saying, are exactly what my generation grew up in. Children, adults, stood at attention and crossed their heart when the flag passed by in the parade. School started with a... It is silly that we have to clarify, that was the American flag. I know nowadays we have a myriad of flags that have nothing to do with our country, but back then we had one flag to unite us all because that was the purpose of the United States flag. And the Pledge of Allegiance. As it should. That's no longer going on. There was a loyalty and pride in America. Children were leaving school 12, 13 years old and joining the service to protect our country. It was one country, America. And I like your policies. I love to hear it because it's what I remember. Thank you very much. generation to the next profoundly move profoundly powerful the greatest regeneration the greatest warriors of all time the world war ii veterans it's sad you can hear it in his you could hear the pain in his voice because the united states has fallen so much more not just economically but morally a myriad of categories the united states has decayed to be Nothing but a vestige of what it used to be. Perhaps more appropriately, just a shadow of what it used to be. Because he's right, schools used to have pride. They used to teach patriotism. They don't do that in the United States anymore. In fact, they give kids, or moronic parents give kids TikTok, which teaches them the antithesis, the exact opposite. Other countries, proud of their heritage. Public schools, again, a big, big issue with the teachers' unions, many issues there, of course, one of them being Many of them are teaching them the basic morals and values of the United States, such as all men are created equal. Quite the opposite. Schools are actually teaching people to judge them based on characters they cannot characteristics they cannot control, such as their race and their where they're from. You should always judge a man not by how he looks, but rather what is what are his actions, what is his beliefs. But unfortunately, all too often, those seem to be less and less correlated as people have less and less common these days and public schools that is a breeding ground for a myriad of issues and that's perhaps another great example of the government messing something up now in terms of the feedback again it got 1 million views in 12 hours it got 6,433 likes now in terms of the feedback Vivek's had a couple are more controversial in terms of, I believe he talked about his ideals or his concerns about, you know, what should the government do with social media intervening with kids? And there's debate, this whole debate there about what the government should do versus parents. In this case, is it was overwhelmingly positive. One of the best comments was from Nick Mosher saying, quote, World War II veteran reminiscing about a time when we were proud 
when we were a proud nation hits me right where it feels, unquote. He got 9,066 views and 287 likes. Pretty good percentage, getting a ratio of 3.17%. You also have someone by the name of D saying, quote, listen to your elders. It is a very important message that we all need to understand. They've been through things, unquote. Good point. That person got 1,990 views and 58 likes, going up at a ratio of 2.91%. You also have someone by the name of Katarina saying, quote, the elderly always have a powerful message for the younger generation, unquote. This person gets 6,484 views and 70 likes, coming at a ratio of 1.08%. Lastly, one of the most popular comments was from William Brown saying, quote, can't get much of a better response than that. Good for Vivek, unquote. That person got 4,693 views and 100 likes, coming in at 2.13%. Overwhelming positive responses, and I definitely think Vivek needs to put this in a lot of his advertising. Because for many people, especially when it comes to politics, you know, the board of the political chessboard, you need to get people in the middle, of course. In addition to the traditional base, whether you're voting, whether you're raising funds or trying to be the president running on the left or the right. But I think a unifying message will point out that public schools no longer teach these morals and values. They no longer teach patriotism, which used to be a good thing. I can't help but think this is another reason why the United States military can't get the recruits. They're consistently missing the recruitment goals. Now, the military has also become political and is supporting political ideologies such as the politically charged issue is transgenderism, where you actually have, and these are supposed to be commercials for the military, you have a male in the military doing a, uh, some social media thing, dressed as a man in the military, and then it does like the screen, you know, like before and after they do like a screen jump or just flash it to another screen, and it's the same man, but dressed up now as a woman, complete with makeup and a, a maybe would say a pejorative wig that a lot of people are comparing to woman face or whatever pejorative term you, you choose. That's what the military is doing now. It's no longer be the best you can be. It's diversity. Where when I talk to my friends in the military, the whole point is you're one unit. You're one team. We don't care about where you came from or who you think. We don't care what country you're from. You're from America now. You're fighting as a single unit. No race matters. No religion matters. You're one unit. And very similar to public school, it's the antithesis being taught these days. And I think this message is very powerful. And in terms of moves on, moves on political chessboard, this is posted by fans. That's almost even better because, of course, you have to hit. A good thing on social media is not, not just to have the person posting, but when you have grassroots support, that's a whole other important political initiative as well, or methodology, some might say. But I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people. And... Crazy enough, people are going to think this is a politically divisive message because there are some people who want to inject politics into schools, which, I mean, nowadays public schools, I would almost compare them to, well, 1984 being an apt, appropriate novel for many of these situations, but they're nothing more than indoctrination zones where they're teaching you what their ideologies are and they are not what the country used to be or many would say more accurately what the country should be redefine itself as it should re find its roots of what the united states was founded on we need we need to dust off the history books and reinstate some of these great lessons like we have a great country will that happen time shall tell 
but I certainly hope so. Other interesting political news, you have the House of Representatives passing a bill to stop states from the ban of new gasoline vehicle sales. I'm looking at you, commie, California. Now, this deal is a, is a very important piece of legislation, which I don't say that too often since Mailer's legislation is usually just fluff that doesn't affect your life. But in this case, California and their infinite, what's the opposite of wisdom, moronic decision-making, they wanted to ban the sale of gas cars. And it is by 2030 or 2035. They've already, they're already uh, gonna ban uh, gas, uh, gas generators, so you will freeze to death or sweat to death in the summers. And they want to ban, they actually pass a law to ban gas lawnmowers, gas leaf blowers. Pretty much, they don't want to, they want to ban convenience in many ways, I would argue. Now, it's even more hilarious that California with the current electric grid, because again, they're not smart enough to do something like nuclear energy, which is one of the best forms of energy that we currently have in terms of the current technologies to choose from. But California, they'll have rolling brownouts and blackouts where they'll tell you you're not allowed to charge your electric car today because we're struggling with our electric grid because it sucks. Simply put. So they can't meet the current demands of the energy grid, but California thinks they're going to somehow be able to handle a whole fleet of EVs. This coming from the state so mentally vacuous, they spent $400 million building a net under the Golden, what is it, the Golden Gate Bridge? $400 million for a net. That's how utterly inept the state is in terms of their practices. That's ridiculous. And of course the project took years and apparently they did it because they wanted to save some lives because people were jumping off $400 million. And it seems realistically it's catching a lot of smartphones perhaps. That's how they spend money there, which is no surprise. They're so utterly in debt most of the time, which is why they have to tax their people, the people who still remain there more and more and more. Now, in terms of the significance of them ga banning gas cars, people ask, well, why should people in the rest of the country care? It's because so many people still live in California despite being taxed to death and having every part of their life controlled by the government, it seems. And that becomes more true as each law passes and each day passes. People still live there. It is the, right now, the 10th largest car market on the planet is California. That's huge. Now, they're the 10th largest. In terms of the other places, they're, they're literally larger, a larger market than some countries. Now, so they're the 10th largest of the planet. Now, slightly larger than them in the order here, you got Italy, France, UK, Brazil, India, Germany, Japan, US, then China. So China's the biggest, the, you know, the US collectively, it's the second biggest, what have you. So a lot of the policies there affect businesses who develop vehicles. Now, in terms of the exact policy, interestingly enough, they never specifically named California. Now, I think this is good because it gives consumers, I know Californians hate this, but it's giving consumers something called freedom. So they can choose what type of vehicle they want to buy and not have the government decide for them. Because some of us like to do what's actually green fiscally and better for the environment. What's best for the environment is buy a Toyota Camry with an internal combustion engine. It lasts a million miles about and a quarter of a century. That's much better than buying a disposable EV. And again, technology moves very quick. There very, very well may be a new battery and a new recyclable technology. 
that makes them green for the environment. Right now, with the current technology we have, best thing you can do is buy an internal combustion engine, run into the ground. But I moderately digress. In terms of the specific legislation, it looks like legislation was passed by the House. The vote breakdown, 222 to 190. So that 190 morally vacuous politicians don't want you to have that freedom. Now, it looks like specifically it would bar states from limiting the sales of gas-powered cars and rescind any federal approvals for states to do so that were issued since the start of 2022. While the vote, and according to the Hill, quote, while the vote was largely along party lines, eight Democrats voted with Republicans in favor of the bill. They the reps, Yorinda Cardivano from New Mexico, Jim Costley from California, Henry Kuehler from Texas, Donald Davis from North Carolina, Jared Golden from Maine, Brian Higgins from New York, Mary Glenstep Perez from Washington, and Gabe Valesquez from New Mexico. Now, interestingly enough, this is very unusual in politics because usually, especially Democrats, they're much more, what's nice, not a gang. They're, the group is very tight. They do, they very rarely break ranks in terms of voting with Republicans. Republicans, they do it every single day. They're pejoratively known as rhinos or Republican in name only. And it's one of those things where I wish there was more crossover in the votes because they would show perhaps more people are reading legislation and it's not just a, our gang is clothing. You are, you know, one side is better than the other. It's more of a intellectual conversation. Although let's be honest, intellectual conversation in Washington is perhaps as rare as finding uh, winning lottery tickets in a, well, where do you never find one? As rare as finding a winning lottery ticket in a library. Partly because people don't go to libraries anymore, but People who buy lottery tickets, I would venture to say they probably don't go to libraries either since they probably don't read math books because statistically you would know the odds are basically about one in 300 million or worse to win the lottery. It's a ridiculous thing, but all too reminiscent of 1984 when they have people playing the lottery and worshiping sports balls. Again, do not make that a drinking game. I mentioned that book far too often, unfortunately because the cultural decay is so rampant in the United States as well as political. Now, going back to the bill, it looks like Interestingly enough, they do not specifically name California. As far as I know, with the data we have right now, that is the one of the few states that has explicitly passed a law to ban consumers in California from having the freedom to choose an internal combustion engine vehicle. Which again, EVs, what's the battery cost for an EV? About $23,000. They're a lot like smartphones. But again, scientific breakthroughs, technology breakthroughs, we may have better technology tomorrow. We shall see. Now, it looks like they say, however, under the Clean Air Act, the state can pursue clean car rules that are stricter than those of the federal government if they get permission from the EPA. It looks like last year, the EPA reinstated a waiver allowing California rule aimed at limiting vehicle pollution to take effect. Since then, the state has also eyed a complete phase out of new sales of gas powered cars to increase EV outage or usage. Other states often adopt California given rules and again, so one of the things like Domino's, traditionally, they start more often than not in Canada, then they go to California, and then the whole United States adopts it. And most of the time, that is unfortunate. So it'll be interesting to see, of course, when it comes to the government, it looks like, uh, doo -doo 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 -doo. Of, course, the right, of course, the White House doesn't like free, like this. It says, this is from the White House. They say, quote, the administration strongly opposes passage of H.R. 1435. Unquote. Again, marketing and politics. 
What an inspiring bill name, 1435. But I partially digress. And they claim that the bill would restrict, oh, wow. Of course, the, Cal the White House says, quote, this, this bill would, quote, restrict the ability of California and its citizens to address its severe air pollution challenges, unquote. So it'll be interesting to see. Of course, they don't teach, you know, basic how the government works in terms of public schools, perhaps because they don't want you to actually participate in politics. That's my sneaking suspicion. But will it pass the Senate? How far will this really get? That's where I'm a little pessimistic, although it does give you a good sign of where your representatives are voting on this topic. Depending on how you feel with this topic, you may or may not want to reach out to those representatives and say, hey, you voted for this once, you're getting my reelection vote, or you vote for this, you vote, you vote a nay, I want my... I want to have my nice V8 or V10, ideally, with a stick shift. You're taking that ability away from me? We're going to primary you. I'm going to vote for your competition. We're going to get someone else to be the nominee, and we're going to vote for them in office. But it'll be interesting to see. And, of course, as I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting political news, you have Vivek's podcast chat on ESG score and the government controlling businesses and the invisible hand of the government going quite viral. So it looks like it was a podcast in which he was interviewing someone by the name, it looks like it's a comedian named Dave Smith. And it's not too long, about five minutes here. So I'll crank out the volume slightly. And in terms of the pretext before the video, Vivek says, quote, Our founding fathers fought the American Revolution to declare independence from the old world monarchy. It now rears its head again in the form of ESG and stakeholder capitalism, unquote. He continues, a quote within a quote, he continues to say, quote, the ESG question isn't even a Republican versus Democratic question. It's an age old 1776 question, unquote. And without further ado, I mean, I know you've done a, a lot. You've probably been all over this topic more than anybody else. Um, but the fact that so much of this kind of woke ideology, which is really anti-everything traditional values, yeah. um, is pumped in by, number one, by college universities, which are basically a government program. As government creatures, absolutely. Yes, I mean, the governments are the ones giving out the loans so kids can go to these schools, whether they're private or public. The only guaranteed loans. You can declare bankruptcy, you can get rid of your medical debt, get rid of your car debt. You can abdicate from all responsibility except student loans. And because they're backed by the, by the government, there's no incentive for the lenders to actually say, maybe we shouldn't give a degree for underwater basket weaving. That probably won't give them an ROI so they can pay us back. But partially, I digress. Um, and then also the fact that so many of these, like, uh, um, which I actually learned from you, but that so many of these um, like public sector pensions yes. actually demand of these financial companies yes. that they have these kind of woke agendas that exactly they're going to get the money. Once you pull the string up all the way, it's actually a government actor, right. not right. not even BlackRock. Go upstream of BlackRock, it goes to CalPERS, right. which is a government right. creature. So, so there's also some areas where on the on the woke thing, while we're while we're pausing on that, is it comes from the government in terms of hard laws from the government too. The Civil Rights Acts. Okay, so the Civil Rights Acts say you can't discriminate on the basis of race, gender sexual orientation now included religion, national origin, right. and otherwise. But combined with the administration... Unless you're Best Buy and you want to discriminate against Christians. I, they're, they're apparently being sued, but not hardly quick enough. ...administrative state, like the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC. What that came to mean was, through the law, through regs, regulations, right, which were 
never actually passed by elected representatives but by unelected bureaucrats came to mean that if you're an employer, you're a private company, you can't create a what they call hostile work environment for a member of a protected class. So what began as a non-discrimination provision, that you can't discriminate against hiring somebody, now says you can't create a hostile work environment for that member of a protected class. Well, how does one go about creating a hostile work environment? Turns out that allowing the expression of certain viewpoints in right. the workplace, that itself is a civil rights violation because you have created a hostile work environment. So there's a grandma who wears a red sweater on Fridays to commemorate those who are serving in the military. A guy who's a member of a protected class says that he considers that a microaggression. She no longer has wearing it on Fridays and no longer has the, the happy hour in the office. She just brings the red sweater and puts it on the back of her chair. He still asserts microaggression. The company is now in a position to say if they don't tell her that she can't do that, that they might be liable under the Civil Rights Acts themselves. And so this is the government creating the conditions for rampant viewpoint discrimination, call it woke capitalism, call it sure. what you want, rampant viewpoint discrimination in the private sector while leaving political viewpoints unprotected. So it's not the market or the culture that's yeah. giving us to us. It's not the invisible hand of the market. It is the invisible hand of government that's guiding us to what looks like a cultural phenomenon of, you know, woke epidemics or whatever. So, yes, I agree with you that many people, especially in the conservative movement, who will often then turn to a government solution by playing tug of war, miss the point that it was actually first step. What I, what I say is at least try it. <laughs> Why don't we just try not paying people not to have <laughs> – Yeah. Uh, more money to be a single mother than to be a dual parent mother than to say we need a government program to subsidize some sort of pro-family creation. Just try removing yeah, the thing and, that actually created the skewed incentives in the first place and let's see how that goes. We've never done that in this country. And that's where you have a, you would say you have a fairly libertarian leaning audience here. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a hardcore libertarian. I think the audience is, well, is uh, whatever the audience but, is, but, but, yeah. but, but to your libertarian friends, and yeah. I'm a former self-described libertarian and probably you know still have a lot i definitely have a lot of those instincts still deep in my bones though i call myself a conservative for reasons we can talk about i think there's more to life than just the relationship with the government but what i would say to our libertarian friends is just as i'll sort of speak to you know speak truth to my camp of of conservatives or liberals who disagree with me to the libertarian group is don't back off of your principles even when it's hard right Standing up for the repeal of protected categories in the Civil Rights Acts, that's a difficult thing to do in the current climate. But when you're frustrated with conservatives who are then offering other stupid solutions at times that are symptomatic therapies of how right. you should use government power to change wokeism, and we, I hear the libertarian frustration with that, my only advice back is great, but then have the courage to actually stand up for your own principles right. By repealing the protected categories yeah, of the Civil Rights Act as opposed to hiding in a hole, Listen, which is what many of them go on to do. I don't you know get what I'm saying, are, right? Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah. So I'm completely with you on that. In terms of the commentary and all statistics, it looks like in a mere eight hours, it got 71.2 thousand views. Pretty good. And it got 847 likes. Coming in a ratio of 1.19%. Not too shabby. Now, it looks like the top responses in the video, one coming from Ryan Waziki saying, quote, when oil companies are the top ESG and Tesla isn't one, 
you can easily tell it's a bogus fraud, unquote. He got 513 views and 10 likes, getting a ratio of 1.95%, which is fascinating. The people who are making ESG scores, they believe EVs are great for the environment. Long-term ROI, no, great for the environment. They, they look great for the environment and they think they are. So that's their thought, the people who are sending these scores out, but they won't give Tesla an ESG score. Why is that? Is it because Elon is a polarizing figure, someone who's involved in politics, someone who is not all in on the government? I can't help but think, yeah, probably. Now, other popular comments are one from a gentleman by the name of Yogi, and I did some little bit of digging, is not Yogi the Bear. So I'm sorry to disappoint folks that unfortunately is not Yogi the Bear. But nevertheless, this Yogi said, quote, right, when will people realize this? They need to think wisely, unquote. Now this person got 1,128 views and eight likes. And unfortunately, I did not use the good old calculator. So we're gonna do some basic, I know actually this will be good because public test scores at all time low for many topics and subjects, mathematics included. So we'll do some math today. I'm gonna do eight. We got those, what was it? Let's see here. Got eight likes and he had, so you're gonna take eight divided by 1,128, that'll give you 0 0.007709. Now we're gonna multiply that by 100 to turn into a percentage. Gives you a percentage of 0 0.709, so we're gonna round up to 0.71%. We have now learned more than some public school attendees have, as bleak as that might sound. Now, in terms of the other popular comments, you have somebody, someone by the name of, legitimately their name is this, Vivek Ramaswamy press release parody. That is the person's name. It is quite a mouthful, some might say. Now this person said, quote, we are surging in the polls, unquote. That person got 316 views and nine likes. Coming in at a pretty good ratio of 2.84%. Not too shabby. In terms of moves on the political chessboard, ESG scores have become increasingly very polarizing. Many people are starting to realize they're nothing more than a political, maybe would say a bludgeon to beat your enemies over the head with. And businesses are actually adopting, although I would argue they're just, a, just putting a face on, perhaps like Two-Face in the movie Star Trek. I'm kidding. I know it's bad. Nevertheless, you had McDonald's, one of the largest, most successful restaurants in history. They actually removed ESG verbiage and vernacular from their public facing website. So we are seeing a shift in terms of the appeal, at least from a public perception of these scores. Now there is also about $70 trillion in assets who want that score, AKA the large investment firms that push this. So it's um, not very, not very fair fight in terms of resource allocation. So it's gonna be an uphill battle, some might say, but in terms of moves on the political chessboard, I think that's a prudent one to choose. I think a lot of people, I mean, people on the right are already, against, on average, are more against the ESG scores. I think there are a couple of people, maybe a couple on the left, and I think there's a fair amount in the middle, politically speaking, who are starting to see what this, the mask fall of what ESG scores are standing for and what they really are and what they really do. I think that I think a lot of people woke up to that fact when Tesla, again, which from the people who make the scores up, they think Tesla is very, the EVs are very green, but 
they didn't give Tesla a positive ESG score. They gave it to oil companies. So it's one of those interesting things. I think that fact had a lot of people realize the scores might not be fair and might be a political tool. And I think this stance by Vivek, that's going to be, that'll be a good move on the political chessboard. I think more, I think that message will resonate with more people he's trying to win over to his camp as he's trying to ramp up his percentage and fight for the nominee for the Republican Party. But let me in the comments, do you think this is a winning issue, so to say? Or do you think it's a waste of resources on his end? It's a waste of time to talk about it? Or do you think it'll actually hurt him in some way? It'll be interesting to see, but as I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting political news, you have the UAW live stream from Sean Fain on good old September 14th. Only now we'll have my charming personality and my commentary. And unlike that video, my comments will be left open. Unless YouTube censors it. In which case, you can always reach me on Twitter, put it on the, at the Topping Show or at N-I-C-T-O-P-P-I-N-G. Nevertheless, the only time my comments have been disabled is when YouTube itself censored it. Ironically enough, when I had a video talking about censorship, that was actually the video title, and the others were about Bud Light. No other, no other topics have they done that for. Interestingly enough, coincidence? No, I, I don't think so. Nevertheless, going to go to his live stream I mean, I you've done right that now. A lot. You've probably been all over this. Unless I fat thumb the keyboard and accidentally play that Twitter video again. So this is Mr. Sean Fain, who again, he's the president of the United Auto Workers. And in terms of, I believe they have about 150 to 100 and, uh, actually I believe they have 147 current members as of we speak. Let me go ahead and I'll play this. And I think it gives a good little insight into the situation. And they do have good marketing. That graphic that they have roaring in is well done, well done. And again, I appreciate all comments, especially if you have suggestions on to make the show better. want to put, because I'm looking for a software that will enable us to have the picture in picture during production. I tried a couple with the camera. I don't know if it's because it's a 4K camera or it's just not working right now and it crashes. So if you have suggestions, I appreciate the feedback. So as long as it's constructive, even if it's negative, I will read it. Without further ado. Oh, mistake number one. He didn't suit up, as all men should. Always suit up. It's a good rule of thumb. I'm only partially kidding. He is wearing what looks to be a windbreaker with the UAW, and he is in his office, which he has little, looks like a little camera, little selfie sticks, and he actually put up posters that says, UAW, stand up, end tears. But again, this is not the crying tears. They're actually people on the boycott or rather, not boycott, in this case, the strike. They're actually smiling, having a good time. They're getting paid about $500 per week. And it says, end tears. That's in regard to payment tears, specifically. And it says, in smaller font, no more second-class workers. Now, without too much further ado. Good evening, UAW family. I'm going to be brief, because time's of the essence. For the past 24 hours... We've been actively bargaining with Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis. Again, really quick note, Stellantis, they're the parent company, used to be on Fiat. They're a very large conglomerate similar to Volkswagen. Stellantis was a company that bought out Chrysler, which in itself owns a Dodge and Jeep. And right, so now they're kind of a European company, but they went bankrupt in 2009, just like General Motors. But they 
I was going to say they respect the ashes, kind of. They're now European-owned. But they did, nevertheless, rise back from the ashes. Or in this case, perhaps a more apt metaphor would be the crashed Plymouth, Plymouth Prowler, perhaps. Or PD Cruiser, famous Chrysler vehicle. For the first time in our union's history, we had all three companies bargaining right here at the Solidarity House, leading into the final hours of our strike deadline. We've been working hard trying to reach a deal for economic and social justice for our members. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I laugh there because he is a very apt politician in terms of key words that get people excited. Really, in politics, one of the key words people look for is social justice. It is a really big resonator, politically speaking, more on the left. And it means, kind of like in technology, what's the cloud? Social justice means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but I'll let him further explain. We have been firm. We are committed to winning an agreement with the big three that reflects the incredible sacrifice and contributions UAW members have made to these companies. We've been open. The companies, the members, and the public know that what we've been fighting for. And we've been clear. Midnight on the evening of September 14th is a deadline. UAW family, that deadline is nearly here. Tonight, for the first time in our history, we will strike all three of the big three at once. We are using... Ah, fact check there. Mm, false. Although, in his lifetime, sure. I believe the last time was about 80 years ago. It is a very rare occurrence, I'll give him that to have simultaneous strikes with all the big three. The big three, of course, being GM, Chrysler, and Ford. A new strategy, the stand-up strike. Mm. We will call on select facilities, locals, or units to stand up and go on strike. Tonight, we call on three units to stand up and go on strike at midnight if we do not reach a tentative agreement in the next two hours. Now, this is a very interesting thing. I was wondering what's the downside or upside of a stand-up versus a traditional strike or like an, a strike across all the brands. So if every single UAW member were to strike, what would that impact be versus this? I think this is an interesting... Well, if you look at the... They, did, they, of course, disabled all the comments, which, of course, if you want to have people... If you want to win people over to your side, allow conversations to happen. And again, as long as it's cordial, I think... Not everyone, but some people will are open to listening to the other side. And that's how you gain hearts and minds, I think. First step is just ha starting a conversation. But in terms of affecting the business, you're going to shut down specific ones. That will cost them a lot less. The UAW has a, a fund of about $820 million to sustain a strike. So that way, they're not going hungry, so to say. They have... They have a big fund and the people who are striking, they pay, I believe it's $500 per week so that, you know, they still have an income while they're standing outside while they're striking, which of course, from a kind of a political strategy or chess move, it logistically makes sense. That way they don't have to sacrifice as much. They still have a income. I know it's not, you know, depending on where you live, it's not a lot of money or there are other variables, although 500 per week. Not too grand per month. Man, I wish I was making that much back then. Yeah. Depending on if it's, a, if it's an entry-level job, that's actually pretty good. Again, everyone has different paths in their life, different careers, um, progressions. 
Eh, 500. Of course, that's before the government steals all of it, but ironically, the UAW votes for people and funds people who increase taxes. But I'm partially digress. We're calling on GM, Wentzville Assembly, Local 2250, in Region 4 to stand up and strike. We're calling on Stellantis, Toledo Assembly Complex, Local 12, in Region 2B, to stand up and strike. And we're calling on Ford, Michigan Assembly Plant, Final Assembly and Paint Only, Local 900, in Region 1A, to stand up and strike. I believe that's the Bronco factory. These three units are being called to stand up and walk out on strike at midnight tonight. The locals that are not yet called to join the stand-up strike will continue working under an expired agreement. No contract extensions. Though the contract is expired, most of your contract is still in effect. Management cannot change terms and conditions of work in your workplace. You do not become an employee at will. You cannot be fired or disciplined for no reason. This strategy will keep the companies guessing. It will give our national negotiators maximum leverage and flexibility in bargaining. And if we need to go all out, we will. An interesting lack of transparency, not being very forthright, I guess, of course, people would argue the parent, or I was gonna say the parent companies, the big three perhaps are doing the same thing with the negotiation tactics, but I don't know, one of those folks where I think, I don't know, in terms of if he's saying, trying to be mysterious, I mean, they've had their 10 demands for quite some time. The debate is really how realistic are those and would they bank up the companies? That's, I think, that's the big point of contention. Everything is on the table. I encourage you to visit uaw.org slash stand up for everything you need to know about working under an expired contract. No matter what, all of us need to keep organizing. Rallies, protests, red shirt days, and community events. Now, that's not the best marketing since red shirts, pejoratively, you think of British people, like the turncoats or the British, and then communists, which some might say that's appropriate given their philosophies, but I partially digress. In terms of marketing, it's good because they all, it's solidarity. They are all wearing similar attire. So it's good for the press and it's good for the, the, the brand. That makes sense, but it is interesting they chose red. We must show the companies you are ready to join the stand-up strike at a moment's notice. And I mean, we must show the- I mean, We already know that. I mean, every single survey when the UAW, they asked their members, will you be willing to strike? It was always in the high 90th percentile. So, I mean, I think, I know this is, video is a little old, but it's one of those things where everyone knew that they were will ready and willing to do it. But I guess his ideal is to further emphasize the point. The world that our fight is a righteous fight. Again, tonight at midnight, GM Wentzville Assembly, Local 2250 in Region 4, Stellanus Toledo Assembly Complex, Local 12 in Region 2B, and Ford Michigan Assembly Plant final assembly and paint only local 900 in region 1a will stand up and walk out on strike the rest of us will keep organizing 
and support them on the picket line. If we strike tonight, I'll see you on the picket line at Michigan Assembly at midnight. Tomorrow, we'll be holding a mass rally at the UAW Ford Joint Trust Building in downtown Detroit at 4 p.m. We will show our strength and unity on the first day of this historic action. All options remain on the table. National leadership will determine the appropriate targets and timing for further stand-up strike action. This is our generation's defining moment. The money is there, the cause is righteous, the world is watching, and the UAW is ready to stand up. This is our defining moment. Thank you. I very much agree with him in the regard that it is their defining moment. This will make or break the automotive companies. I agree with that sentiment. Very much so, actually. Now, interestingly enough, of course, unfortunately, I'm one of, the, well, I'm one of those people where I want as much data possible. If you work on the assembly plant floor, I want to hear about it. Let me know in the comments. I'd love to hear your experiences. What are your thoughts on this strategy? Now, interestingly enough, of course, they do not have the comments open. And they also don't even have the, they don't have the like counter enabled. So I'll have to look into one of those third-party applications where actually it will tell you the real like versus dislike ratio. Now, YouTube in their censorship crusade, they got rid of the dislike button or the, they got rid of the ability to see the dislike count. Coincidentally, after the last presidential election, or I'm sure that's a total coincidence. Now, this actually, they disabled the like button. So I don't know how many people like this. It could be two people. Could be a thousand. Could be, a, well, I was about to say it won't be more than the views. Could be 20,000. I don't know. That's also censored. Now, I was actually shocked. They do have the live stream comments open. Of course, I was too late to the game, so I could not contribute my incredibly cohesive thoughts, which I know everyone appreciates. <laughs> That's kind of sarcasm there, because I know this is a divisive topic, though I appreciate all the correspondence as we learn about each other's perspective. Now, interesting enough, from a strategy and political perspective, the comments were very much divided in terms of the strategy of only shutting down a couple areas of a couple plants. Now, in terms of overall support, people like they voted for him to be the leader, and he seems to be very well beloved by the, the UAW members. And interestingly enough, not an insignificant amount of comments were very negative, specifically to that strategy point. So a lot of people are saying, why not strike all at once? You know, why don't we do that? Now, in terms of moves on political chessboard, I actually don't think that'd be beneficial to do a full strike right now. Even from Sean Fain's perspective, I think from Sean's perspective, his strategy is the apt one. Now, in terms of his ideal to only do partial strikes, it will also it'll devastate those factories. Don't get me wrong, those specific factories and assembly lines, but if they were to strike all at once, they would have to use all their fund. Now, granted, they have a lot of money, $820 million. But let's do some quick math here. So they have $820 million, which, dear God, that's so much. Which, ironically enough, the big three are paying for their own demise because that's coming from, you know, the money they pay the UAW members. Now, they have $820 million. And what was it? They have about 146,000 members. So that 
gives you $5,616 per employee. Now, remember, they pay $500 per week. So let's divide that by $500. That strike would only fiscally be able to last 11 weeks, which, uh, I mean, that's almost three months. That's, in terms of the fiscal calendar year, that's not too long. That really, it'd be, don't get me wrong, it may devastate the fiscal quarter for GM, Ford, and Chrysler, but if you zoom out, I mean, it'd be a big win because they would be out of fuel, so to say. Now, that's not, I'm sure some some uh, benefactors might give them a couple billion, but with the current funds they currently have right now, they wouldn't be able to sustain a strike for relatively long, so they run out of fuel quick. Also, the strike right now, not to be pejorative, well, perhaps just a bit, who cares? I say that because, fiscally speaking, dealerships have lots of vehicles to sell. Interest rates are jacked up. People aren't buying cars as much as they used to. If this was perhaps peak pandemic when everyone was, I was gonna say right after the pandemic, when was it? People were foolishly going out and buying a bunch of vehicles. That would be the prime time to strike because that's when they would have the highest fiscal pain to the big three. And that's where they, they want to tighten the screws, so to say. So that would be the optimal time. Right now, there's not much, not as much automotive demand from the end user consumers. Also, they could just, you know, buy a Honda or Toyota, which will last, again, a million miles or a quarter of a century. I mean, my family still drives a 2001 Honda Accord. The thing is bulletproof, but I moderately digress. It is fascinating to see this perspective from Sean Fain. And there's a lot of people speculating, maybe he just wanted to show his power. And no matter what the big three offered, politically speaking, it was a good move to strike. Of course, that video came out, you know, they they published a video the day after the strike, but or the strike the strike began. But it's one of those instances where before the strike, he polled everyone. The UAW, they were all overwhelmingly, they want to strike. So he's also giving them exactly what they want while, because it's not a full, you know, strike, the whole, they're not shutting down all factories. He's still kind of playing both sides of the ball, so they, both sides of the game. It's one of those things where they're striking, but they could, they could sustain the strike for much longer because they're not having to use the whole fund at once. Because again, that only lasts 11.23 uh, months. So from his perspective, that seems to be a very politically apt move on the political chessboard, as I would metaphorically say. Although, perhaps he does play chess as well. I don't, can't see what he does much in his free time. He's not put that on the YouTube yet. But let me know in the comments, do you think this is the, the quote-unquote winning strategy for the big three to get what they want? Well, they're not going to get what they want, they're going to get hosed. But this is the best strategy for the UAW members to get what they want. There are some people irate in the comments that they think they should do a whole shutdown at once. There's, they're actually pejoratively calling him a weak leader. And again, maybe this, I would, presumably this is for most of the UAW members in the live stream. Maybe some people entered or a third party. But what's, if you're part of the UAW, let me know your sentiment. Do you think this is a prudent decision? Or would you rather have a whole shutdown where the funds would not sustain as long, but maybe it would have a greater impact on the business? Let me know. Again, I would love to hear what you have to say. Other interesting political news, as automotive and politics are seen to be more and more entwined, Ford announces layoffs because of the partial strikes. 
Now, it looks like specifically they are laying off 600 employees. And this is because of the strike at the Bronco plant. Now, interestingly enough, this is a, now politically speaking in terms of Sean Fain, the president of the United Auto Workers, it was a smart move on the, the political chessboard to only pay for resources to shut down part of the factory, perhaps some might say, because the factory was crippled. They got rid of the workers who took part of those specific, I believe for the Bronco plant, it was the final assembly, the paint and final assembly, I believe, is what they mentioned on the video previously. So because they, they took away a couple of union members and I'm guessing they, the company's not prudent enough to cross train employees, perhaps, maybe that's another issue for another time. But because of that, the whole plant can operate because some employees are gone and they don't have enough robots yet. And that, again, Tesla, they're going to crush it metaphorically and perhaps physically if the robots turn against us. Tesla literally has a prototype of a robot that looks like a person. I was going to say the Terminator might have to be moved from the, what was it, the science fiction to nonfiction? Hopefully not. Now, getting back to the actual real, current reality, tomorrow who knows what that might bring in terms of Terminators, but it looks like they're shutting down this, they're getting rid of, yeah, 600 employees. Because again, they can't pump out those Broncos. Now, in terms of timing, again, who cares in terms of right now, really high interest rates, not as much demand for new vehicles. And the Bronco is still in demand, but you didn't have that really, you know, when it, when it first came out, they were selling for well above this price. And in some dealerships, they still are, which is another issue that the big three have to deal with. It's not just the union crippling them and hurting them in terms of fisc uh, fiscally speaking. Although some people pejoratively call the UAW a gang, in which case the metaphor of, you know, kneecapping them would be an apt one. But in terms of the Bronco, that sale's already gone. They missed out the marketing opportunity to hire OJ again. But it's one of those things where, well, I say again, he was never an official spokesperson, but everyone saw the video of OJ and the Bronco and came a very infamous moment. But the Bronco, the heyday is already gone, the kickoff of that new product. The US, politically speaking, the best time for the UAW strike would have been right before the new product launch, which again, it, I know it's not, that wouldn't correlate with the contract that is expiring, which is the main reason there's, well, it is the reason they're striking right now, but it is interesting to see some of the fallout as they're starting to shut down parts of the company. It'll be interesting to see, I was gonna say, I'm not a financial advisor, I don't give financial advice, but I can't help but think the value of those uh, used Broncos might go up depending on how long the strike goes because it sounds like the new ones aren't going to be hitting the dealer lots anytime soon. So it'll be interesting to see. Let me know in the comments. Do you think our Ford Broncos is going to become like Corvettes now and trade for six plus figures? It'll be interesting to see, but actually it'll be also interesting to see how many, how many layoffs are going to happen because the factories can't operate. Be, let me know in the comments. Do you think this will happen at the other automotives? Because right, right now, and again, it's a very fluid situation. I mean, Things are happening on the hour in terms of updates with negotiations and the strikes. Right now, this seems to be the first fallout we can see in terms of layoffs, and that's Ford, which ironically enough was the company that gave them the most throughout the years. But do you think GM will have to do layoffs at that because they're very specifically striking at specific plants for both of the, all the big three? So will Chrysler have to shut down their plant that they're striking at or partially striking at? And will GM, will they have to close that plant that they are partially striking at? Now, in terms of hurting the company, this is a politically good move because that's a very profitable vehicle. There's a reason Ford stopped making cars. They're usually terribly unprofitable things. I mean, when I worked in the automotive industry, I remember Chevy used to lose about 
My dealerships would lose $436 for every Chevy Cruze they sold. It was terrible, but when you build a cost at a price point and it's a you know economic entry level vehicle, that's what you do. And it's also one of those things where they would pray and would hope they make money with financing, accessories, and the life cycle of the vehicle where you know over time it'll need repairs, new parts. So in the beginning, it was more of a loss leader. So it'll be interesting to see in terms of choosing next strikes, will they go after something like Cadillac or a, a assembly line of an SUV, which are much more profitable on average than cars? That's another interesting political move Sean Fagan will need to think about. He's the president of UAW. When he's thinking about where to put these strikes, where he can hurt the companies the most. It'll be interesting to see. Let me know. Do you think more layoffs will occur at those specific sites? Or they will they be able to sustain a little bit longer? This is very quick, but it'll be interesting to see. Of course, time shall tell. Other interesting political news. You have the CEO, General Motors, Mary Barra, having an interview and without further ado, it is already a little bit disappointing from an interview perspective. How pathetic. This reporter, if you can call him a reporter from CNN, CNBC, he didn't even suit up, as all men should. Now, in his credit, he is wearing a tie. Looks like even Mary suit up, which is a controversial thing in and of itself, I know. And I guess for the record, let me know, would you want me to break down the salaries of the big three? I was thinking about doing that over the... Uh, past couple of days as the controversy uh, boils to the surface. It seems like a big point of contention. A lot of people are upset with the disparity between the executive pay and the entry-level job pay and the mid-level job pay. Let me know if you want to, I could take a look at the 10Ks, uh, financial status of the companies. Would that be of interest to you? Again, let me know how I can make the show better in addition to the things I'm constantly trying to work on, which is speaking slower and of course enunciating more. Two things that I'm constantly trying to get better at and I appreciate you letting that come to the service in the comments so I realize it's still something I need to work on to make the show better for everyone. So without further ado, I will go ahead and I will start the interview. Hey Joe, Mary, thank you for joining us. Mary Barr, Chair and CEO of General Motors. Strike was called at midnight. What's your reaction initially? And I know you knew this was coming, but what's your reaction? Well, you know, Bill, our team has been working since July 18th uh, to bargain in good faith. We've had over a thousand demands. Um, I'm extremely frustrated and disappointed. We don't need to be on strike right now. You know, we put a historic offer on the table that not only has very significant uh, gross wage increases, you know, total through the contract over 20% that compounded is 21%, but we also have uh, job security. We maintain. I wish when I worked at Corp America, I can get those type of raises. Again, depending on your industry, that's very rare. And again, I got throughout the, this is a four-year contract. So as you said, compound would be 21%. Now, in the beginning, the UAW was demanding 40%, which again, if you take the 10 things the UAW wanted, it was 80 billion per of the big three over the four-year contract, which when you break down in a per-employee basis, would be $420,000 per year per employee. And again, I realize that includes pensions and kick, not kickbacks, but benefits for retirees, but still, when you look at cost allocation, traditionally you look at the people who are still working at the company who are generating profits. So that's how I'm trying to, trying to keep this as transparent as possible and give you as much data as possible. And let me know how I can do a little bit better. World-class healthcare. There's so many aspects of this, of the offer we have. And again, full transparency, the UAW wanted 40%. They did counter right before the strike. They did go down to 36%. So they did make a concession albeit a negligible one, physically speaking, but they did make a concession on their end. Table, 
that I think uh, really is going to resonate with our employees. So we didn't need to be here. You said frustrated. I sense there's a disconnect between the automakers and their negotiations with the UAW that we haven't seen in the past. There's always contentious. I, I'm not laughing at the talk, although perhaps some will, will become comical. I'm looking, they brought up a stock chart at General Motors. They're still about $33 a share. You look at the five-year trend of the stock. It's about even. It's not that great. So the shareholders are not happy. They get a little dividends, but again, you want the company to grow over time. And their profits, they, they are there, don't get me wrong, they're making profits, but they still have the long-term debt. And they're going to kind of like roll out at their casino. They're betting it all on EV. For better or worse, I would argue worse because kind of like an investment portfolio. I kind of, I kind of prefer a diverse portfolio. That's why you, typically you invest in multiple areas of the economy, but they want to go all EV. And again, that's not their core competency. That's Tesla's. So they're, they're choosing to go against the dominant technology company being a traditional automotive company. I'm glad they invested about the $928 million into developing the new V8 platform. But again, that, that dwarfs the budget that they put into EVs. So they are prudent enough to still make gas engines for the V8 for the trucks, which is where they make the current profit margins to fuel the company. But nevertheless, partially digress. Discussions during these things, and sometimes there's a strike, but there's something seems to be different this time around. What's changed here? Well, you know, every negotiation takes on, um, you know, uh, the, the personality of the leader um, uh, who's running, you know, from a UAW perspective, as well as what the situational issues are of the time. But, you know, I think the key in any of this is to get to the table, talk through the issues. And that's what we've been working to do since since this began. You know, and again, I, I, we had over a thousand uh, demands. You've got to work through each one of those. That's part of the process. So we've been working very hard. We've been working to problem solve. I can't imagine how how much of a pain that is for all those accountants. Don't, don't get me wrong, that's their job, but imagine having a thousand demands and trying to figure out the fiscal impact on the company over the four years of the contract. That's, I mean, hopefully they have someone in high IT making a software to do that for them, but that's not an insignificant task. And we're gonna continue to do that. We're there now and ready to keep going. You've made four offers. How many offers do you think it's gonna take? And at 20%, how much higher can you go? Well, I, I think we have a very generous offer on the table right now. It's historic. From a wage increase perspective, it's the most significant offer we've had on the table in our 115-year history. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to bargain in the press, but, uh, you know, we need to get there fast because uh, this is not good for our employees. It's not good for the communities, their families. And for every GM job, there's six other jobs in the economy that depend on uh, uh, depend on us running. So we got to get back to work. If they start striking at other GM facilities, how much will that hurt the bottom line? How quickly will it hit the bottom line? Well, we're, we're in the business of, of making cars, trucks, and crossovers. So it can, uh, depending on the length in which plants, it can have uh, an immediate effect. You know, they better have accountants on that right now. They should, again, uh, you don't want to give them too much credit. I'm always questioning what they're doing. But they should have an interactive map with software where you can just click on, okay, that, that plant is closed for two weeks. What's the fiscal cost? They, they better have that because they're going to need it. I, I suspect this strike will go on for quite some time. I'm, I was going to say, I was verbally, I was saying, I'm going to, I'm guessing it'll take 10 offers, but it might make more. There's a lot of unknowns, of course. Yeah, but we've been through this before. We've been through COVID. We've been through the semiconductor. We've got an incredible team who's been preparing. We're ready. We're going to do what's right. Uh, but this is, this is not going to be positive uh, from an industry perspective or for GM. All of your plants, to a certain extent, are, are interconnected. Even though these are final assembly, 
Wentzville, what happens in Wentzville doesn't happen in the silo. And so the question becomes, if other plants are hit, and I'm talking separate from an engine and transmission that feeds all the plants, um, is there a ripple-on effect in terms of it adds to the complexity of managing the situation? Absolutely, absolutely, uh, because, you know, a lot of our um, assembly plants also have contiguous stamping plants that may serve other, uh, other plants. So, you know, we've worked to have a very efficient uh, manufacturing network. So, yes, even one plant is going to start to have impact. Any, ch any chance we see a change in production? Separate, I mean, obviously, Wentzville is not in production right now, but any sense that production, while it continues at the other plants, does it change? You know, we'll evaluate that. The team has already been looking at that, and we'll continue to do that and be very responsive. Our team knows how to manage this. Um, four years ago, you went through this, but as I mentioned earlier, this does seem a little bit different. What's your sense in terms of how long this go? Obviously, you'd love to resolve it tomorrow, but long you've time. done this before. You know the rhythm and the cadence. What's your sense in terms of how long this strike may go? I think the strike can get resolved very quickly. Again, we have a historic offer on the table, and, you know, from a job security perspective, we're uh, unique in that we have work and products for every single one of our facilities. About uh, more than two years ago, as we started to really plan the EV transformation, we made sure we had work for everyone. It's one of the reasons we designed in-house power units, because, and we've already started to allocate power units to our internal combustion engine plants. So this is something we've been working on for a long time. Uh, to make sure we can bring everyone along. I think our, uh, the, our GMT members who are represented have told me time and time again, job security is very important to them. How you get job security is making sure you have beautifully designed car trucks and crossovers that people want to buy, and we have those right now. But all of our vehicles are in strong demand, both our, our ICE portfolio and our EV portfolio. So we got to get back to work so we don't lose ground. I know you've been in touch with the White House. They're, they're taking an active interest in what's happening here. Um, what do you say to them, or what do they say to you about this situation? Well, I, I've been very clear, and I've talked talk to many members of the administration as well as um, members of Congress. And, you know, we're at the pro table. We're problem-solving. We want to get this done. This will not be good for the economy uh, overall and, and, uh, and, again, for all the communities that are uh, impacted you know, from a, when a plant is in their city. Mary Barra, Chair and CEO of General Motors, uh, thanks for talking with us on a day where uh, we're going to see what happens. No negotiations today, uh, but we'll keep you guys updated in terms of what we see throughout the day and what we hear back from you. How pathetic. He's being a, he's being a CEO, and he's not even wearing a not even wearing a suit. You're meeting the CEO. You're, you're, it boggles the mind. I, I was going to say, I won't, I won't focus on this subject too much longer, but still, pretty pathetic. You can't suit up for this interview. Ridiculous. Now, Interestingly enough, you look at a lot of the comments, and most of them are, as the youth might say, ratioed her. Now, it looks like one of the comments said, it's from a very inspiring name, B376010. How inspirational of a name. Now, this person says, quote, nothing this woman nor most CEO do is worth $29 million a year. So this person gets an F for grammar, though they get an A plus for using the word nor, because it sounds kind of fancy and I appreciate that. Now that person got 42 likes. So not too bad. Now another person by the name of Douglas Britton, 5966. This person said, quote, sad that her father worked at the Pontiac, at Pontiac as skilled trades, that good wage and benefits put her through school 
to get the education and skill to reach the top of GM. Guess she forgot where she came from, unquote. That person got 84 likes. Unfortunately, I wish YouTube would do this. We could see the, the ratio of likes, likes versus dislikes for the comments. Again, I need to look into the third-party softwares. That there might be a tracker for that. But it looks like the, in terms of the response to that, a lot of them were concurring with him. Though, interestingly enough, she's making an offer to them that's greater than ever before. Some might argue she's remembering that. Although, again, another issue is what happened to Pontiac? They died. Well, I would also blame them for killing awesome products like the Pontiac GTO, the Firebird. And they made it kind of a plain cookie cutter brand, just slap different badges on it. So there are many reasons, but one of the reasons GM drastically trimmed all their products in terms of the brands is because of 2009 bankruptcy. They got rid of a lot of great brands that people loved. Now they're down to four in the United States. I mean, you got Buick, which in terms of historical provenance, I appreciate because Buick was the first of GM. Is Buick and Oldsmobile combined when Billy Durant founded the company all those years ago. But nevertheless, the current lineup is Buick, Cadillac, GMC, and Chevrolet. Although, ironically enough, Chevrolet, people like to say, you know, things about Americana. You know, Chevrolet, apple pie, and baseball. Although, Chevrolet is named after a Frenchman who's a race car driver. Though, interestingly enough, that's how Billy Drum bought the... He got kicked out from bankruptcy. Teamed up with a French race car driver by the name of Louis Chevrolet. They actually started building cars to consumers. Built that up so big, he bought GM back. So a very inspirational story, although sad ending, he kind of they went bankrupt again, and allegedly the last time we seen in public was work uh, managing a bully at bowling alley. So unfortunately, not a happy ending, but a good mid story. Another one, top of the results says Joshua ninety eight twenty eight. This person says, "quote GM should have taken these negotiations more seriously weeks ago instead of waiting until the last few days." Unquote. That person got one hundred and thirty eight likes. Though interestingly enough. It sounds like negotiations were going back and forth for quite some time. Though, contradictory reports as well, you also had the interesting lawsuits. Specifically, I believe it was GM and Chrysler, where the AWers complaining that they weren't getting back to them quickly enough. So, it, it'd be interesting to see the data. I wish there was... Let me know if you have an article that, knows, uh, that gives you the maybe a text message thread or some reference points where we could find out when did GM get these thousand asks from the UAW. In terms of time frequency, was that all the last minute or I think there's a disconnect in terms of, well, when did they really start negotiating? The offer was months ago. So again, more data, the better. Let me know if you have additional data so I can review and then further report upon. upon. Again, trying to enunciate more. In theory, getting better each time. Now, another person says by the name of the Tonus says, quote, this is like secession scripted, trying to get out ahead of the rest of negative press. It's an absolute theater go workers unquote now this person got a hundred likes so it looks like overall uh, uh, interesting and yeah it looks like uh, overall the comments are not so pleased so it'll be interesting to see let me see here Yeah. I was going to say. Yeah. 
was gonna say there's not very you know it's bad when I'm scrolling trying to find a popular comment or a positive comment and it is quite difficult to say the least not too similar from some of my videos there are less always appreciate the feedback as long as it's constructive and of course more data the better so it'll be interesting to see will the sentiment change and it's fascinating to see the difference maybe it's the audience or be interesting the demographics of people who watch youtube versus linkedin versus facebook it seems like you do see some differences on linkedin i did some polls and it seems like the comments were i want to say maybe 60 40 ratio of more people supporting the company versus the uaw then on facebook it seemed about 50 50. now granted this is a very specific video but it'd be interesting to see what are the variables that may contribute to the different perspectives Again, more data the better. Maybe I'll be able to find it. I'll have to take a look. Other interesting political news. You have Ford CEO Jim Farley on the UAW proposal. This interview from 914. And again, it's so disappointing. No relation to Chris Farley. Well, maybe I'll have to do the DNA test. You never know. So this is from CNBC Television. Without too much further ado. It's Ford CEO Jim Farley with our own Phil LeBron. John, thank you very much. The same lazy bastard? Pardon the French, but again, a record, reporter from CNBC. Have they never seen a suit in their life? This gentleman did not suit up, as every man should. The CEO of Ford, he has a blazer on. Pretty nice blazer. And a button-up. He suited up. CNBC, how low are your standards? You, he has a tie. He gets some credit. But you're meeting one of the most powerful CEOs in the world. And you can't throw a blazer on. You can't suit up. He has to say, this interviewer off to a bad start in my books. I, I'm only moderately kidding. Or am I? Time shall tell. I might reveal later. But without further ado. Jim? We're a little over seven hours away from the strike deadline. Where do things stand? You, you've made your motion. Again, this was published after the strike began. So I do understand the data is a little stale in that regard. But it is interesting, I still think, to hear his perspective. With recent offer, what have you heard back from the UAW? Okay, this is kind of funny, though. Now, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. Kind of ironically hilarious. He's standing in front of a Ford Bronco. Now, I don't know how clever Sean Fain is, the president of the United Auto Workers, but... That would be kind of funny if he chose to shut down the Ford Bronco plant or rather to do a partial strike at that plant, which subsequently caused some layoffs and the plant to be demised for temporarily. If he did that just because he was in front of a Bronco, let me look how did he do that? That'd be kind of politically clever. I, I would I would give him I would give him some kudos for that, which is perhaps a dated reference. Kudos used to be a candy bar back in the day. Fun fact. Well, everyone imagines we're in some room squirreled away doing this final negotiation, and that's what we would love for the last two weeks, but nothing's going on. We've received no counteroffer from Sean Fain in the UAW. Nothing at all? No. How frustrated are you with this situation? Well, we've never seen it before. Uh, in 80 years, we've always been able to work through these differences. Now, in terms of feedback, and again, no matter where you are, if you're from the UAW, if you're from GM Corporate or Ford Corporate, I love hearing more data, more experiences, because it helps make these videos more interesting and more data, the better. Now, 
it is interesting that this is the first time in, I believe, like 80 years, you have all three being struck upon at once. So the UAW is not only just striking at Ford, but also GM and Chrysler. Well, now Stellantis, because of the subsequent bankruptcy in 2009, which some would say contributed because of the high UAW cost of labor. But nevertheless, it is interesting that they are all three striking, striking simultaneously. And historically speaking, Ford overwhelmingly has given more to the UAW than GM or Chrysler, Stellantis. Ford actually has more employees who are UAW members than the other two, and they manufacture more vehicles here. Although, ironically enough, you look at the top 10 most American vehicles by percentage of parts made in the USA and the assembly point, the top 10 are Tesla, Acura, Honda, and the Kia. I think GM is the first, GM or Lincoln are the first American brand, but it's like the top 15. The top 10 are ironically, you know, Tesla and then Japanese companies, which some might argue they're becoming more and more American as they make more cars here and they employ lots of great workers. But moderately digress. Uh, because we're always on the side of labor at Ford. We have the highest UAW headcount. We have more people than anyone, build more vehicles. We've never seen anything like this. It's, it's frustrating because many of our team members have negotiated successfully on non-economic issues with the national negotiators. But somehow when we get to these marquee money issues, everything stops. And it's a mystery. Uh, we've, we, we've been putting contracts and negotiating with ourselves since the 29th for two weeks. And we still have not had any kind of counteroffer for all those major things. And we're on the eve of one of the largest strikes in our history. Do you believe Sean Fain is truly negotiating good faith? Or do you think this is a case of, he's not even giving you a counteroffer here. He's made it a decision, we're going on strike. Well, I think he's certainly planning when I, when I read, when I saw Facebook Live, he didn't even acknowledge our offer that Bill Ford, the chairman of the company, made two days ago until last night, and we still have not uh, gotten an offer. Now, that is interesting. I, uh, given all the data we currently have, I think they want us. I think Sean Fain was never going to accept any offer because, again, the, the members voted in the 90th percentile in multiple UAW, because, again, they, there's groups throughout the United States for different plants. They overwhelmingly supported that they were in favor of a strike unless they got the 10 things they wanted, which would be, again, 80 billion per manufacturer. So 80 billion for Ford, 80 billion for Chrysler, 80 billion for Ford. Again, General Motors, brain fart, so to say, over the course of the four-year contract, which would cost per employee per year, $420,000, which again, is in no way feasible. I don't know what Sean Fain is doing but he's not negotiating this contract with us as it expires. But I know he's busy planning a strike. We don't want it. I know he thinks this will be a historic strike with all three plans. That's what he wants, make history, I suspect. All three companies. But we want to make history with a historic deal. We have talked with people familiar with their plans in terms of what they might announce tonight. Livonia, your transmission plant, uh, really the bread and butter in terms of putting the engines and the vehicles, everything sure. together. Uh, that's gonna be hit according to what we understand. What would that do? What kind of chaos would that cause for your manufacturing? It's enormous. For a engine transmission or stamping plant, all the downstream assembly plants would be affected within hours or days. And what- Politically, good move by Sean Fain. You cripple that plant, you don't have to strike at the other plants. They're all gonna be inoperable, basically. 
So in terms of moves, moves on the political chessboard, Sean Fain made a good move. Although long-term, will he get, will it help him get what he wants? That's really the big debate we're having. Which approach is gonna be the most effective? Most Americans don't realize is that although that would disrupt the manufacturing and the assembly of vehicles, many of those workers may not be eligible for the strike fund or for even unemployment. So at a personal level, our employees get hurt. So how quickly would you have to potentially lay off people from a final assembly plan? Because you're not getting transmissions in, and therefore there's no production. Well, within hours or days, depending on the plan, how much... Again, spoiler alert, they had to lay off 600 employees at that specific plant because of that disruption. Again, I know this video was published a little bit later. Hindsight's, eh, sometimes 2020. Float we have, we'll have to shut plants, assembly plants, hours or days. Quickly put in some perspective. The offer that they have, what they're demanding relative to where we, where you are right now, how much damage would that do to the bottom line? If you were to say, sure, we'll give you 40%. If we signed up for the UAW's request, instead of making money and distributing 75 thousand dollars in profit sharing the last 10 years we would have lost 15 billion dollars and gone bankrupt by now now again i wish you would specify is that seventy five thousand in the past 10 years is that per well it would have to be per employee because that'd be pennies if there's that was total eh, i wish you'd give more specifications around that figure and how because i was interested to hear some people in comments were saying they weren't eligible for bonuses so let me know if you if you're a former uaw member i'd love to hear what you have to say in regard to the bonus allocation and who qualifies for it. Now, uh, the average pay would be nearly $300,000 fully fringed for- Well, he's wrong, it'd be $420,000, but I digress. Or the, perhaps he's talking about two employees, the other would go to the retirees and the medical benefits for the retirees. Four day Again, give us more data and statistics. I, I know there's a finite amount of time when you're doing these interviews, but still, you kind of know me, more data the better. There is no per way employee, per UAW per employee. employee. Yeah, this is our fully tenured school teacher in the U.S. makes sixty-six thousand dollars. Some of the military or firemen makes mid fifty thousand. This is four, five times, six times what they make. There's no way we can be sustainable as a company. That's now again, he's using the emotional rhetoric to response using public, using teachers and military. That's apples to oranges. I don't, in this particular instance, we're talking about the automotive industry. I don't care about the military comparison between these industries. What he should do, be a more apt approach, mention Toyota, mention how to, mention Tesla. In your 10 case, when you're talking to the shareholders, who you think your biggest competitor is, use those figures. Because again, those are the companies that you're trying to compete with. May would debate, you probably can't, given Tesla has a big lead, a lot of technical engineering resources there. And the Ford Mustang Emoc, terrible name, just bastardized the original great Mustang, which is well, still made, thankfully, with a V8 and three pedals, manual transmission, as all cars should. But again, let me know in the comments. He's just used, do you think, am I right? Should he just use, compare it to a Tesla salary, which again, will be a little skewed because they, they get stock, but compare it to a Honda salary, a Kia salary of the assembly worker. Compare it to the competition that you're trying to beat that would have been a better, they have that data. That would have been a better comparison, I think. That's why we put our proposal in two weeks ago to say, look, you want, you want us to choose bankruptcy 
over supporting our workers? Here's our proposal. Let's work through this. We've heard nothing. Last question. How worried are you that this could be an extended strike? Worried, but we're prepared. We're professionals, 120-year-old company. We've seen world wars. We've seen pandemics. Mm -hmm. We're prepared. My team is fantastic, but it's not necessary. We still have a few hours to go. Let's go. Let's get a historic deal done. And it is one of those things where, fascinating enough, Ford is the only American automobile company to never declare bankruptcy and still be around. Well, I guess kind of makes sense. GM bankrupt 2009. Well, probably three or four times now. Jeez Louise. Yeah, they've gone bankrupt quite a few times. The most modern bankruptcy for General Motors, you have to specify. That was 2009. Chrysler, again, they went bankrupt so bad, European companies bought them out. They went bankrupt just like GM in 2009. So Ford has had some hard times, and it'll be interesting to see. I think it's going to be a long, I think there are many reasons it's going to be a long strike, partially because I think that's what Sean Fain wants, and it's also what the union wants because they're saying they're in favor of a strike. I should guess I should specify. I don't think they've done a duration poll yet, but... Again, he's Sean Fain, the president of the United Auto Workers. I think they're doing partial shutdowns where they're not shutting down every single UAW employee. They're not all striking at once. They're doing partial shutdowns because they can have a longer negative impact on the big three. They have that $820 million fund that they use for strikes. And again, each member, I believe, receives $500 per week of strike. If they were to all strike at once, they'd only be able to have that strike sustain 11.2 months before they had to ask for additional assistance from family, friends, what have you or get a job at another automotive company. So I suspect they're going to do the partial strikes because they can sustain those for much longer. And I should, I should perhaps do those calculations. I need more data on the number of employees that are currently striking. I think it was about 13,000 last article I saw. And again, it, this is a very fluid situation. It's changing by the hour, saying they're leaving the negotiations and strikes. And, so uh, maybe let me know in the comments. Maybe I should get some ballpark numbers, but of course, a 13,000 employee strike is much lesser than, or fewer than, a 147,000 worker strike. So they can sustain these partial strikes for obviously an infinitely greater amount of time. So it'll be interesting to see which, if this approach is the most positive one for the UAW to get what they want, or will it be, will it be a, will it be a breaking point for the big three? Will they just continue? Will they just go out and hire? Well, they are pejoratively called scabs. I prefer band-aids because I think it's a more appropriate term for those workers that cross those picket lines. Do you think that might be long-term solution? Now, in terms of the comments, and I wish YouTube was more transparent. Of course, they censor more things than the government these days. The video within one day got fifty-two thousand views and. 245 likes. Unfortunately, YouTube in their in a disgusting act of censorship, we don't know the dislike. I will probably I need to look at a reputable third party where they have analytics where they will measure that for you. So they got quite a pretty good audience. Uh, and it looks like some of the top responses. One is from someone by the name of John Krebs, 1999. This gentleman said, "Quote: I am UAW for John Deere." I was involved in the 2021 strike. The company was singing a similar song about how paying us fairly would result in bankruptcy. The contract we signed was worth $3.5 billion. 
In 2022, Deer, Deer roughly made 7.1 billion profits. Currently, for 2023, they made 10 billion profit. The big three will be just fine, paying their workers a decent wage. Perhaps Ford should focus on increasing quality, eliminating dealership price gouging, and improving delivery times. That will make up for the pennies they might lose on keeping a sustainable workforce, unquote. Now, again, there's a big delta between what do they get? They got 3.5 billion. The UAW wants 80 billion. So 3.5 billion to 80 billion. And John Deere, they're also not doing so great in terms of global economy, in terms of competition. Case New Holland, which is more often than not known as Case, they're going exponentially. And actually, now that I think about it, I believe they should be part of the UAW because Case, I believe, was owned by Fiat, which, again, is the parent company behind Stellantis. So it'll be interesting to see what the cost comparison is, but John Deere has more and more competition as each day goes by. It'll be interesting to see what the long-term plan is. Also, another thing people, farmers don't like about John Deere, they are also one of those people that they don't like you to be able to repair your own vehicles. Well, in this case, farm equipment. It's kind of like an iPhone. They're very much locking it down, so you have to pay exorbitant fees for them to fix it for you. But another topic for another time, perhaps. You also have somebody by the name of Clara22123. Very inspirational of a name. Almost as silly as someone calling someone, like, topping. Ridiculous. Oh. Oh, wait. Partially digress. Now, in all real seriousness, she says, quote, Making money should be a routine... What? Jeez Louise. Grammar, folks. It's a lost, lost the art. Although we keep paying public schools more and more money every year. Oh, interesting. Nevertheless, Clara attempts to say, quote, Making money should be a... Routine, a weak dollar can signal a weak economic downturn, making me to ponder on what are the best possible ways to hedge against inflation. And I've overheard people saying inflation is a money eater, thus worried about my savings. My savings are on 200K, especially now I've retired, unquote. That's all, yeah, looks like a couple, a little, a little, a long, that's all one sentence? Jeez Louise. Yes, she got 103 likes. Inflation is, as I believe a wise man once said, oh, the whole quote you lose me at the moment, but I believe Reagan was a gentleman who said, inflation is the quiet thief that's all around and constantly a threat to everyone. It's true. It literally eviscerates your savings. That's You used to be able to actually get money, to put money in a savings account at a bank. They actually pay you a pretty good percentage where you could actually hedge inflation, a.k.a. you could beat the amount of inflation every year. Now, for a myriad of reasons, including the government printing more money than it's ever been minted before, we have hyperinflation, 40-year hyperinflation. So your savings are worth nothing, thanks to the government, which again, as money was printed by both left and then subsequently a little bit on the right. And then the most ironic thing in history, the Inflation Reduction Act, which caused more inflation in and of itself. But nevertheless, this person has a point about inflation, it's, it eviscerates your savings. And ironically enough, the people who pretend to care about the lower class their policies eviscerate the lower class. But I partially digress. Back to the comments. Another person by the name of MacDaddy, M86DS, says, quote, when Ford's stock value falls to the floor, Farley will be out because his job, because it's his job to protect shareholder value, unquote. Well, that's partially true. The stock drops exponentially depending on what you, where you're working and what the long-term goals of the company are. But part of his job is also whether he likes it or not, probably not, but he has to be working with the union. So part of his job is negotiating with them and trying to make sure that 
sometimes it seems like an insurmountable task, but making sure everyone is happy and content and profitable. That's one of the hard things. Now, this person did get 43 likes, so pretty co popular comment. Another person by the name of Soju9GB, interesting name, says, quote, I love how every contract is pushed out until October or November because of corporate greed, manipulating tactics, and buying every past union committee. The only difference is this contract is the union. The only difference this contract is the union is not selling out, unquote. Grammar. Nevertheless, this person got 47 likes, interestingly enough. And again, when did GM get that thousand ass from the UAW? Because you have two parties saying one, and they had these offers for quite some time. There seems to be a lot of different stories about when the negotiations started, when they were going back and forth. Some people are saying Sean Fain skipped meetings with executives. It's, it's gotten to the point where I almost wish these folks had Apple, little Apple trackers. Because there's so many moving balls here. It's like, what's really going on? Yes, I have somebody by the name of Wingnut76 saying, quote, I don't work at Ford, but I'm hearing is... Uh, I wish... Google is a multi-trillion dollar entity. They can seemingly do everything with technology. Why can't they make autocomplete or... I don't know, a little help for the grammar. I know we have spell check these days, which helps a lot of people out. But why not? Again, maybe this technology they're working on right now, a grammar checker too. Some I know some softwares do it, but nevertheless, this person says, I don't work at Ford, but what I'm hearing is there is money for everyone except those who actually make the product, unquote. And again, perhaps it's just my dyslexia with some of this as well. I can't help but think maybe that's the real thing. I make those types of mistakes. This person got 118 likes. Uh, interestingly enough, Another one. Uh, trying to see a couple, another popular comment here. Uh, that's not a good one. All these comments are getting one or two likes. Though, you can still take the time to like this video. It'll probably help with the mysterious YouTube Google algorithm. That's what I'm told. It kind of depends which way the wind is blowing, Google, Google seems to change it so often. Um, some by the name of Create Your Worth, which interestingly has a Fox body Mustang in the profile, or Create Your Worth. This person says, quote, most people that want the 40% have never read the income statement from Ford or any business. If you do read the financial reports, you will see that the big three has slowly been earning less net profit. People see the gross profits as record-breaking, but the net is what is killing these companies. People fail to see the bottom line after everyone is paid has been shrinking for years. If you gave into the 40% demand and 32-hour work week, say goodbye to Ford and others. Good luck. You read it here first. Now, interestingly enough, that was one of the few contrarian comments, and that person got two likes. So, not all too popular. Looks like... Let's see. Not a single person appropriately calling out the reporter for a lack of a suit, though. Come on. Again, I'm no fashion guru or fashion police. I just know every man looks better. Suited up. 
Now, let me know in the comments. Historically, Ford has given the most in comparison to all of these companies. Now, do you think they will be the first to accept a new contract? Or do you think they're striking for the sake of striking? Again, it, everyone keeps saying it's a historic moment because it is. These companies are changing in many ways. They are pivoting to EV, which inherently will mean less UAW jobs. Now, overall, I think kind of like when you have main disruptive technologies, jobs usually, some specific job titles go away, but the number of jobs kind of seems the same because they create new jobs. So with EVs like Tesla, they have a lot of they have a lot of engineering resources over there. They have a lot of computer science degrees over there, but they have fewer people doing rudimentary skill sets. Like um, in certain, I'm not saying all assembly is rudimentary. I'm saying there's certain tasks that they've been able to automate more than the competition, and they've eliminated certain roles, but they've gained in other roles. So it will be interesting to see which of the big three comes to an agreement first, but given all the information we currently have and the kind of the climate and the comments I see in the from everyone and the sentiment you hear from the UAW, I think it's going to be a long strike. How long? That's a real, that's a real multi-billion dollar question. I was going to say million dollars, quite literally the billion dollar question. And how much can they give if, before they are hindered in terms of their abilities to reinvest in the companies and to transition the companies to EV and all the new fancy tech? Heck, if it was up to me, they'd all be making great V8 stick shift vehicles. But that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but 40-year hyperinflation, got to go three cents. It should be four cents, but I'm a generous man. Granted, it is still free to click the subscribe button. I know it's a high lofty goal, but trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of September, and I greatly appreciate your comments as well. Other interesting political news, you have Vivek firing 1 million federal employee tweet getting 441 views in two days. And my apologies, I know it's Vivek, but partially just reminisces about his earlier rap career where he's known as Dubek, which again, he should definitely, that might help him in the polls and connect with the youth more. A little bit of the, the, the rap music, some might say. Now, go ahead, that's an exceedingly short clip, but nevertheless, perhaps that's one of the reasons it went viral. So, in the text that he has prior to his clip on the Twitter, now known as the X. Although, let me in the comments, does anyone call that? In, the, in real life, does anyone actually use the term X when they converse with humans to talk about the platform? And anecdotally speaking, it seems like most of the folks I know still call it Twitter. But nevertheless, you have uh, Vivek, oh, okay, Vivek, again, practice makes perfect in theory. I'd like to think I'm getting better at some of these things. Let me know in the comments if you think I have, or. Granted, I still have work to do. Nevertheless, Vivek says, quote, we will fire 1 million federal employees in 2025. Meanwhile, there are over 8 million job openings in America right now. And without further ado, and of course, he had the common decency and the, what is it, the wardrobe fortitude to suit up. Because you always look better. Now that I think about it, perhaps I should start a suit company for an additional business. And large-scale mass layoffs are absolutely what we will bring to the D.C. bureaucracy, both because it is necessary and it is sanctioned by the law of the United States of America. That is powerful words. Hopefully he doesn't visit Dallas, Texas, 
the um, last politician and president who tried to shrink the government, it didn't end so well for him. Though I'm sure it was just that random person that went after him. Of course. For the record, I do love life. Now, in terms of the feedback, and again, within two days, I got 441.6 thousand views and 6,865 likes. And I know public schools are all-time low in terms of their proficiencies and their test scores, so we'll do a bit of math here today. So 6,865 divided by 441,600. That gives us 0.0155. Now we're gonna turn that into a percentage, multiply that by 100, and we get a percentage of 1.55. Or if you feel ambitious, depending on where you are around in the decimal system, you could actually go to 1.6 if you feel so inclined. We've now done more education than some public sector schools, which is saying something. But in all seriousness, well, well, partial seriousness, I digress. Going on to the comments and the feedback, you have someone by the name of Propaganda Sniper X. Now this person says, quote, we're 33 trillion in debt. Vivek Ramaswamy is 99.99 accurate in this statement that the federal government is 63.4% up to 75% overstaffed, mostly jobs created for friends and family members of elected politicians and appointed officials. The cut in payroll dollars, staff headcount, and contract employees are necessary to reach equilibrium. That person got 3,390 views and 50 likes, coming in at 1.47% like ratio. Now, it is ridiculous to think how bloated and how large the government has grown since the Founding Fathers first thought of the greatest nation and wrote the most perfect documents in history. Some might argue only second to the Ten Commandments. The Constitution and the Bill of Rights is the ones that I know have to specify because less and less Americans actually know about these sacred documents, which is quite concerning. But the government has literally millions of employees. And there's a lot of fat you could trim, so to say. Now, the issue with this statement is He's not going to get those votes. Now, granted, he's a Republican or he's running for the, for the Republican nominee. So he's probably not going to get any public sector votes from the federal government since in terms of just being self being selfish if you're a government federal worker, would you rather vote for the person who's going to exponentially increase your budget and give you lots and lots of monies or the person who wants to be more fiscally responsible and cut the budget? Now, don't get me wrong. I know Republicans are very disappointing when they actually get in office. They sometimes rarely cut budgets depending on where, you know, local versus federal, where have you. Sometimes they do. They need to do more, though. My three cents. So that's... Actually, now that I think about it, this, that statement probably won't lose him too many votes. Let me know in the comments, because that is one million people that he's saying, your job's gone. And I grant he's not saying specifically, Bobby, you at the public education department, your, your job's gone. Like, he's not saying that. But it's one of those things where... Man, I don't think there's... Again, overwhelmingly, you look at voting trends, I don't think they would have voted for him anyway because he's running to be the Republican nominee. So let me know in the comments, do you think this will actually, if anything, just gain him vote, votes? In which case it's a much very prudent business decision, or in this case, a political decision on the chessboard, so to say. But a couple more comments. You have somebody by the name of Jay Grusom saying, quote, net result, lost 1 million votes at most, unquote. That person got 5,262 views and 39 likes coming in a ratio of 1.3%. You also have a gentleman by the name of Michael Austin saying, quote, 
This needs to be the standard for all GOP candidates. Too bad most of the party is part of the system, unquote. That person got 2,591 views and 51 likes, getting a ratio of 1.97%. And he does bring out a big problem with the GOP. There are a lot of rhinos, and there's a pejorative term known as Republican in name only, and they will all campaign saying, oh yeah, we're going to cut this, we're going to cut that. And more often than not, not always, they get elected and they acquiesce from all responsibility and promises that they made. One of those disappointing things, but not surprising things about politics. And again, I think the people who had subsequently, who had previously got them in power, you need to have a better candidate primary them and vote them out. But back to the comments. You have somebody named Brett Vanderkin saying, quote, it's a win-win situation, unquote. Getting that person got 2,388 views and 32 likes. Not too shabby, coming in at a ratio of 1.34%. So interestingly enough, I, again, I think the more you listen to him, well, the more you know he actually read the Constitution, which is a rare thing these days. But do you think this will gain him the libertarian votes? Because that is a big voting block. Granted, not big relative to the ginormous, bloated Democrats and Republican parties. They're big beyond all belief, both in financing and their waistlines, ironically enough. Well, pun? Nevertheless. But will this gain him more independent voters, or will it force them or will it push them in the opposite direction. I think for constitutionalists and people who want to decrease the budget, which everyone should, again, we're $33 trillion in debt. That's ridiculous. And again, Republicans and Democrats both made it bad. You could look at the spending and see which ones made it worse yourselves. But it's one of those things where someday the bill's going to come due. And I granted, some people might just say, yeah, we can just sell off Alabama. But yeah, but still, they've. I was going to say they have a something there. Nevertheless, that might not be a conceivable option. We'd have to sell something else. Something to think about, because the bill will eventually come due sooner than I believe we think. Is that, that I think is something that everyone should be running on as well. Be like, we need to cut this. We need to somehow become fiscally responsible. Somehow. Like, it should be, should, any, you see this in the private sector every day. Decrease your expenses, make a profit. The United States used to be a profitable country, but I digress from that point. Do you think this will gain the independent voters? I I think it will gain some libertarian voters. And as, again, they I don't think they put a, a nominee forward yet. So it's one of those instances where, again, not all their policies and beliefs align with the conservative Republican Party. Otherwise, they would just all be Republican. But I think many of them align in that regard. Again, not all of them, but I suspect perhaps a majority of their belief systems or perhaps their core voting issues, which usually people will vote, you know, single or, you know, single issue voters, a common phrase. Yes, a specific topic that you are focusing on completely. That's what it means most to you. That's how some people choose candidates, but I think this will gain some more in the middle. But as I always say, time to shout, let me know in the comments. Do you think he's gaining steam and will he gain those votes? Will he actually re get the nominee? That will be interesting, but I always say, time shall tell. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, we have TikTok slammed with a 345 million euro fine for violating children's privacy. Why am I not surprised the Chinese spyware app is caught spying yet again and again targeting kids? Which again, in the United States, there's no reason anyone under 18 should be on t have a smartphone, yet alone be on the TikTok. It is ridiculous beyond all belief. 
it is the worst software you could possibly imagine for children, especially when you see it's just a weaponized thing from the Chinese party. I mean, I think I've talked about this before, but in China, if you're a child, TikTok actually shows you to be patriotic. It's cool to become a scientist. You're proud to be love your country. It builds the children up there. And here, it actively makes kids dumber. So it's there's no positive impact of having a kid on TikTok. But I partially digress. Now, it looks like this is a couple articles ago. It looks like they failed to protect children's personal information by making their accounts publicly accessible by default and insufficiently tackled the risk that under 18 users could access the platform. Now, this is according from the Irish Data Protection Commission. Oh, I can't help but think. First thing of Ireland, I'm like, DeLorean. Fun fact, business fact, that's where they actually made back in the day. And of course, Guinness and Freedom Cartoons? Freedom Tunes? Those, I think those top three things. But nevertheless, it looks like an Irish privacy regulator said that in the period from July to December 2020, TikTok had unlawfully made the accounts of users aged 13 to 17 public by default, effectively making it possible for anyone to watch and comment on videos they posted. Which again, there's no reason for any child to be posting those videos. The fact that some parents actually allow that it is just mind-boggling how mentally vacuous that decision is. Now, it looks like regulators slapped TikTok with a 345 million euro fee for breaching European Union's privacy law called the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR. That's a big... The amount of logistics that go into trying to make a company compliant for that, there's no easy feat. You have to read the fine print. It's a whole thing. And again, for TikTok, 345 million euro, that, that's a pretty penny. Don't get me wrong, it's a multi-billion dollar company. But again, for them not to actually make a modicum of effort and to have it so that anyone could access those profiles, that is just ridiculous. And that is certainly the business blunder of the day. Thank you everyone so much for taking the time to tune in today. Also, I know we're trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of September, so if you could click that button, I would greatly appreciate it. Also, don't forget to take the time to like and comment the video. I really appreciate your feedback, whether you're on the front line of the UAW or in the corporate office at Ford. Your feedback makes the show much more interesting and is able to make me update the videos with even more data, and it really helps it, I think, make a better experience. And also, the feedback improves the show because thanks to the comments, I realize I need to actually work on my enunciation as well as my articulation and slowing down a little bit when I'm speaking. So together, we're going to make the show together that much better, and I greatly appreciate your participants. Also, don't forget to take the time to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.